The following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Go to ProWrestlingOnly.com to enjoy other fine podcasts, as well as match reviews, book reviews, video game reviews, and of course our forums. Let's start the show. Buddies and Travelers Down Thunder Road is us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. I am your host, your road warrior on Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I am joined by my faithful co-host, Staggerly Malone. Lee, how are you this fine evening? I'm not too bad, pal. How are you doing? I'm alright. Bit of a heat wave in Ireland. Unusual. It's warm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, it's not, you know sun splitting the stones heat but it's you know we've gone from fairly baltic temperatures to about 21 22 degrees celsius well, the last I mean, couple of days that, that, that was like two days ago that it was cold so <laughs> it's not like this yeah. is just a sudden kind of like a couple of days that's decent weather yeah i'll be right back to the shite tomorrow yeah no <laughs> doubt um what what's um, up with that intro you're the road warrior yeah, I, I, dude, I like you know you got to think outside the box at a certain point, and I, I was catching up on Dark Side of the Ring, so I guess Road Warriors are in the back of my head I, a little bit. I can't wait for your intro as pretty wonderful. <laughs> I was gonna, <laughs> I was actually thinking because I watched, uh, I was watching some old WWF, and I was thinking about stealing the the, the precious Paul Ellering and introducing myself as Mister Dot Com. Um, <laughs> That's what I actually I, I, I actually watched ninety seven uh, Raw recently as well, and Vince introducing Sonny as the Queen of Cyberspace. <laughs> oh, it wasn't that the thing like she was the most web searched woman alive or something like that. Yeah, in, on like one particular one particular web search. Yeah, I think it was back like, when like people were still calling AOL America Online. Yeah, and it was it wasn't even AOL; it was one of the lower ones. <laughs> not yeah, not it was like Ask Jeeves or some shit. <laughs> Those were the days. The the kids the kids these days, Lee, they don't understand that there used to be many many search engines. Oh, I, I I explained to Connor the other day, who's seven seven and a half now, um, yeah. that the internet wasn't always around. Mm-hmm. And he could not fathom this, and I was trying to explain like. <laughs> Yeah, that we didn't always have the the ability to Google answers to questions. Yeah, <laughs> that like sometimes you had to wait to find out, or you had to rewind the tape to go back and watch something, or yeah, you know you, all you this kind of ta- stuff. You should tell them about the phenomenon in in Ireland that was Fix It Friday, um, 
Uh, for those of you who don't know, who aren't uh, from Irish shores, there was. I, 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 um, I, can't, I can't believe we're going to reference Joe Duffy on a wrestling podcast. No, 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 not, not Joe Duffy. We're, we're staying away from Joe Duffy. This is Ray Darcy. Oh, Darcy, credit, sorry, Darcy. Credit Darcy credit, yeah, yeah. yeah. Credit where credit's due. So, National Treasure, and uh, he was a children's television presenter when we were both growing up, uh, Ray Darcy. Uh, he had a radio show. Uh, in the 2000s and on Friday they would do a thing called Fix It Friday which is before the the advent of Google and Yahoo and whatever other search engines we would have been using in the mid 2000s basically if you had a question you couldn't remember the answer to or you needed somebody to find out for you you would have to you you wouldn't have to but you could call in this national radio show and like their team of researchers would try and get back to you on it and like it it was very successful. I remember it spawned a couple of books as well. Oh, they were they were doing it into the mid two thousands, like after well yeah. after Google was a thing, like yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that, that 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 was like a phenomenon for a long time. Yeah, um, I'd I, say. I, I'd say, say if go on, yeah. Sorry, go on, go on, go on. I was gonna say I'd say if you showed Connor like a, a floppy disk from the from the nineties, it'd probably melt his brain. He wouldn't even figure out where it's supposed to go in computers now. I'm surprised you know what a floppy disk is. <laughs> yeah, well, I so I would have been of I would have been of an age to remember the smaller, the three and a half inch floppy disks, like okay. not the big, not the bigger ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know the bigger ones existed because my dad was an engineer and a computer nerd. Um, but the, yeah, the three and a half ones I remember that was that was my time, all right. That was when when we were doing computers in a very commas in school. It, <laughs> yeah. it involved plugging, like inserting a floppy disk and running a program, <laughs> and that yeah. was our time on computers in school. Yeah, there was actually a class. I don't know if your school was the exact same. Like in first year in secondary school, so this is like a junior high equivalent. There was literally a class on the timetable once a week, computers, where like because computers were still such a novelty that like not not even close to I'd say half the 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 students in my class would have had a computer at home. Um, so I was trying to teach them how to use things. I remember distinctly using my computer class to vote for, uh, on matches for Taboo Tuesday. Oh, jeez. Uh. <laughs> I remember we used to, well, uh, there was a couple of us that would look up results on, like, fucking WrestleZone or all this kind of stuff. Um, but I, I remember our, our school was, obviously I'm from it, a not-so-well-off area, shall we say, and we used to have two computer labs I'd say there was a grand total of maybe 20 PCs. Yeah. And we thought, that Jesus, this was the height of technology. Yeah. And we all, um, we actually got to do the ECDL in, oh, yeah. in fourth year. That was the main <laughs> part of my whole year. <laughs> that was like the way the young lads who are a bit kind of handy, they look forward to doing the safe pass course. Yeah. So that they can get onto <laughs> building sites. You're doing the ECDL. You had the, um, you had the lads who did metalwork up until towards year and then yeah. said right I can go get an apprenticeship <laughs> yeah I uh, by the way I would just like to uh, a bone of contention that Lee has uh, has painted a picture there as if I am from some sort of like a uh, posh boy neighbourhood or something like that uh, I, I, I must remind everyone the town the, <laughs> one of the news stories my town is most well known for is a man who got his ear cut off and fed to him outside a police station <laughs> What a story! So, uh, yeah, well, and uh, you know, people say, "Oh, there must be a story behind that." No, it's basically the story. Like he owed someone, he owed the wrong person some money, and that was it. Um, so yeah, like it's not like I'm to the manner born over here. Like, all right. Um, 
Yeah. Anyway, look, we're we're back on the show, and it's another uh, it's another one of our weekly shows that we've been doing the last two months, and uh, the theme of this month's uh, kind of in between thunder shows has been retro pay per views uh, that you've picked that are kind of significant um, pay per views in the career of one Mister H Hogan in, in WCW. Now, two weeks ago. Uh, we did Bash the Beach 94, which was Hogan's first pay-per-view for World Championship Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even though I think the answer to this question is obviously, I'm going to give you a little ch- a little bit of uh, room here, give you the office to do a spiel here as to what was so significant about Bash of the Beach 96 before we get into things. Why did you pick this one? This one, oh God, the reason I picked this one. Well, there's only one reason, really. I mean, this gone free and all getting a shot at the Cruiserweight title. <laughs> you piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you left me open for it. Come on. You know where I was going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> open goal. I mean, look, it's... Is it an exaggeration to say it's the second most important wrestling pay-per-view of all time in America? Yeah. Um, I, I believe, because something I, I was telling you that I, I was reading, again, unlike us on the normal Thunder shows, I was doing a bit of research around this, and I say a bit of research, I basically just read the, the some bits and pieces from The Observer uh, about the Bash the Beach, and Dave was talking about how like it was probably, I think he said, like the most significant wrestling angle in at least three decades. Um, and, you know, he's not wrong. Like, I think... Even now, some 24 years later, I, I think in a butterfly effect sort of way, nothing that happens today happens the way it did without Bash oh, no, the Beach it, it, it totally changed. Like, when we get to the main event, there's a few little things that I want us to talk about that where things could have been very, very different in the whole of the landscape of US wrestling. Yeah. If things had had gone a different way. It's it's incredible, and it's a thing where, you know, we'll we'll get into it on the pay-per-view. I I, I am conscious that we need to talk about beer. But (laughs) (laughs) uh, an interesting thing is that, like, obviously there's this kind of... um, Within WWE's kind of... um, The way they style history for themselves now, the way they write their own history, they, they fetishize this idea of era... Mm. Uh, and that there's an attitude era and that there's um, a ruthless aggression era and that there's the um, oh what is it they, they tried to get was it the oh fuck the, the kind of post pipe bomb era there was, a, there was a name on that for a while but uh, the, they, the they have this era or the um, I know that's what we call it <laughs> um, I can't think of the name but, but anyway you know what I mean that they, they kind of like they, they kind of like this idea of having these chapters, you know, mm. the Hulkamania or the new generation, stuff like that. But as we'll talk about on this show, I don't think there is, there has ever been a more like pinpointed dividing line in the kind of like almost like before Christ, <laughs> you know, AD uh, delineation than this whole month here, the the arrival of the outsiders leading up to Bash the Beach ninety six and the reveal of the third man, I think is the most significant singular turning point in in modern professional wrestling, outside of maybe the first WrestleMania. Oh, it's the leg drop. The, the leg drop yeah. is the moment. That is the moment things in American yeah. wrestling change forever. Yeah, but look, we'll pull back from that for a minute, mm-hmm. 
And look, uh, we're, we're it's it's days of thunder, so we got to talk our beers of thunder. Uh, Lee, what are you rocking for the program this week? You're really gonna go with beers of thunder all the time, now, aren't you? I've 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 dug my own grave on this one, my friend. You've committed to a bit, and you have to stick to it now. Yeah. <laughs> I regret it so much. <laughs> look, the finish counter has been going well. We'll give you we'll give you the. You can keep beers of thunder. It wasn't your best idea, yeah. but look, we'll go. With uh, look, they're they're not all winners. <laughs> Uh, this week I am gone with an Erdinger now mm. for those who wouldn't be familiar with Erdinger Erdinger is it's a German beer it's the beer that you see in your local off license well at least here in Ireland and probably the UK is the same where when you're sick of Budweiser and Coors Light and all this stuff when you're kind of getting a bit a bit more mature shall we say mm. and you decide to stretch out and you're like oh no, I'll, I'll try something new Erdinger is generally the first thing that you'll reach for. Or maybe, yeah. you know, you'd have kind of the... Remember the Polish beers were big for a long time over here? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, Erdinger... For the for the sake of uh, friend of the show, Jeffrey, you sidestep trying to pronounce any of those Polish beers. I mean, I could. And I could really <laughs> piss him off just to do it wrong on purpose. <laughs> but, you know, we like Jeff, so I won't do that. Yeah. At least not at this moment. <laughs> Chicken <laughs> strong style story, guys. Oh yeah, for sure, and strong style history. Um, and boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> oh, I'm here, pro wrestling only, and busting balls, which is now also on PWO. Yes, Jesus, Jeff, stop doing podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> we'll invoice you for that plug, friend. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Erdinger is the first beer you'll go for after you kind of you get tired of your more commercial beers. And yeah. God, I love it. It's just so smooth. It's mm. just, there's like, I don't want to say there's no taste on it, because it, it it's lovely, but you could just yeah. drink it all night. It's just one of them beers you could just sit down and gladly sit there with a couple of pals, and you'll sit there drinking Erdingers, and you won't realise you've gone through six or seven. Yeah, yeah. Or or shouting into your computer, as the case may be. Ah, look, this is life, though. <laughs> yeah, this, this is life. This is, our friends are our laptops now. Um... <laughs> I have gone with, I got another delivery from our good friends at Craft Central last week. Um, it was due a couple of weeks ago. I was hoping to debut some of the beers then, but uh, I, I, however, uh, I have gone with, from the Four Pure Brewing Company, who are uh, an English company, I have never gone with before, but uh, a friend of mine, Matt Niner, suggested that I try it. I've gone with the Juice Box Citrus IPA. And not only am I having a new beer, but I'm drinking out of a new glass, my friend. Because uh, <laughs> here we go. Of, here we go. He said he wasn't fancy. Yeah. Oh, look, yeah. In the vein of kind of supporting local business, you know, I, I was saying to you, Lee, that there's a local brewery that's about twenty minutes from me. Uh, but the problem with ordering from them is that they only do it. They only do the beers by the case. And for the whole me trying a different beer every show gimmick, I kind of can't commit to a case of beer like that's nearly a year's worth of programming there if i were to have one of those per show um so i instead they they sell glasses so i went and got a couple of pint glasses and a couple of those kind of um they call them teku glasses which are the kind of they look like a wine glass but for beer that's supposed to funnel the smell or something like that they're just a nice let's use a fancy glass for <laughs> beer um so i poured my juice box citrus ipa in uh here's one i made earlier and i'm gonna try now I must say, I'm just looking at the can of the uh, that you sent. You sent me the picture of the delivery, and I have to say, the can mm. is fantastic. 
Yeah, uh, as I've noted many times on this show before, it's like I'm pretty much anyone's for a cool can design, and uh, you'll notice that is a running theme in the ones I'm going to be trying uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, and you can have a look at those can designs, both mine and Lee's, and our reviews of them over on our Instagram, which is WCW Thunderpod. Uh, that's where our Beers of Thunder reviews and recommendations are going to be living from now on. Anyway, with that out of the way, let's go into Bash at the Beach 1996. This is from July 7th, 1996 in Daytona Beach, Florida. And it's one of those things, Lee, we talk about the historical significance of this pay-per-view. Before this show even properly opens, I was already to t- I was already able to type out that this was Daytona Beach, Florida. <laughs> that is yeah. ingrained in my fucking head. Yeah, the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida. It's just one of them things you'll never forget. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't know. Should we should we save the the significance talk for for later on? I think um, so. Yeah, uh, we, we'll we'll jump straight into the show then. And the graphics at the start, very nineteen ninety six, but the vibe is great. Talking about the hostile takeover. Yeah, I really like the video. I'm not yeah. sold on the the choice of music. Yeah, it's it's a bit incongruous. I would say it's kind of. Uh, it felt like royalty-free Jaws music. I thought it was um, something they pulled from, like an Oliver Stone movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. The Oliver Stone movies with like the oppressive, constant score going yeah, on. Yeah. Like, yeah, just, give you that, yeah. like a black and white sequence for like five minutes, mm. and you just have this constant music in your ear. Yeah. the 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 vibe is fantastic, though. That like you you feel the importance and the weight of what's going on later tonight. And as we'll probably talk about across the show, commentary is is singularly preoccupied throughout this show on what's happening mm-hmm. in the main event. Now, Lee, normally that's a bugbear of ours and we kind of have given out about it before on the show about how, like, um, you know, focus on, on what's happening in the ring and, you know, then, you know, if you want to filter in some stuff about what's happening later... But I will say this may be one of the very few occasions in history where they were probably, they probably earned that we need to keep talking about how big this deal is because for once in WCW, the the hype was justified in, in what would happen later on tonight. So I was kind of fine with that over-egging the main event. How did you feel about it? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think this is, like you said, one of those times where the main event is the reason everyone is here. Like... Mm. I said, like, this is one of the most important pay-per-views of all time. I'd say, like, Austin Rock, WrestleMania 17. If if yeah. JR and Heyman had been just going all night about the main event, the main event, the main event, I would have had no problem. Yeah. Like, the Invasion yeah. pay-per-view, if they, all they talked about was the main event. Perfect. Yeah. Like, this, this is one of those scenarios where everyone knows why they're here. You know why everyone's here. You, yeah. you get through the main, or the undercard, and you get to that main event, and that's all that people are dying to see who is the toward man and they yeah. they mention it constantly they remind you they don't know they're trying to find out yeah. and it's just it, yeah. it's spot on all night i thought and something that they're selling really well across this night is like the edge of kind of fear and of danger and of trepidation as to what is going to happen in the main event uh, the game plan of the outsiders obviously playing very very well uh, on uh, the minds of those in World Championship Wrestling where everyone feels a bit uneasy that they don't know who the third man is. And I think the the presence of police security all over the building tonight really hammers that home. 
like it feels edgy it feels different in a way that god like the two years later that we're covering now in in wcw they've lost all sight of that edge um, oh yeah and they're really reaching for stuff like, uh, to try and get that edge back yeah whereas the nwo like just feel dangerous and like outsiders like that, that's the perfect description for them they are outsiders that have come in like i know they got sued a fuckload over <laughs> but yeah. like and I love Mean Gene. Like, Mean Gene a couple of times during the night mentions, oh, we've heard names. Everyone's heard the names that have been mentioned. Yeah. And they play yeah. into those. Like, I know the internet was only starting out, but they like, they knew they had the smart crowd to see who was torn. Yeah. yeah. And who it was going to be. And, and, as, like, and as well as that, something that we, we kind of will, will hit on as this show goes on, I think, is the idea that um, the outsiders in question I think it's like a couple of minutes into the main event before we hear their actual names, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's uh, yeah. We'll get to that, but yeah, it's like they they don't mention their names. Like commentary, don't say Hall and Ash. They yeah. say these invaders, these outsiders, these people that we don't want yeah. here. They do they do everything to avoid giving them that kind of oxygen of of, mm-hmm. of using their actual names on the show. And I think that adds to it. But uh, we have Tony Brain and the American Dream himself, Dusty Rhodes, on commentary tonight. Um, much as it's great to see Dusty, it's not that great to see him at the commentary table. No, uh, and he, as we've he, he is before. not good. Um, no. But the most egregious thing about the commentary and the opening shot is, what the fuck is Tony Schiavone wearing? Oh, Tony wearing like... Um, it's like the top half of a tux with grey slacks. Yeah, it's like one of those things, you know, that we, we all kind of, the, the memes that go around now of people on Zoom calls wearing, like, top half business suit and then, like, bottom half pyjamas or shorts or something like that. That's what it feels like. <laughs> Everyone, like, don't stand up, don't stand up, don't stand up. <laughs> yeah, but, like, but, like, not even just him, Lee. I know the eye is drawn to the man in the mismatched jacket and pants. Oh, the other, but, the other uh, thing, his jacket is swimming on him. It's not his jacket. Yeah. No way is that his jacket. No. Uh, and then you've got like to his right you've got Bobby who is wearing like a royal blue suit jacket and a shirt that looks like it was constructed out of the opening credits from Saved by the Bell <laughs> I think Keenan showed up in what he thought would have been appropriate like for Bash at the Beach and we're yeah. like oh no this is a big night you have to wear I think that's what's happened with all of them I think they made a last minute decision that this was the biggest night and they had to be in dress wear yeah. instead of beach wear yeah, because then on his left, you've got Dusty, who is just like head to toe in black, like he's going to WCW's funeral, uh, which I suppose is probably the most tonally appropriate outfit on commentary, because it is a night mm-hmm. of kind of, it, it, ultimately, it turns out to be a night of mourning for, for WCW. Um, they set the stage saying that the third man is unknown. Bischoff, who had been attacked by the the outsiders, his whereabouts is also unknown. But Brain says the energy level backstage is at a 10. People are on edge. They're excited. They're nervous. All that sort of stuff. Uh, we've got Outsiders versus Sting, Savage and Lex in your main event. And obviously, the, the who is the third man with them? Uh, what I love here, uh, we talked about the security guards all night immediately your eye is drawn to the security guards are even flanking the commentary mm-hmm. table which I think is a nice touch after the attack on Bischoff and it really gives you um, that, that, without that sense of danger you don't yes. know where they're coming from you don't know who yeah. was coming for them yes without expressly saying there's a chance that one of us might be beaten up by the outsiders that visual cue of, of having the security guards mm-hmm. there is, is perfect they, for that they don't need to beat you over the head with it they don't have to like the, the police standing in front of the announce desk 
Yeah. Uh, introductions out of the way, and all of a sudden, Iron Mike today is here, which, which means we must be having some Lucha Lads, and what a pair of Lucha Lads it was. This is Psychosis versus Ray. I have not seen this match in many, many years, my friend. And holy shit, what a treat this was to start the show. A, a treat, but also kind of a, wow, nothing on this show in terms of bell to bell is going to come close to living up to this one. Um, oh no, you, you talk about a show starting out hot. My God, what a way to open a show. Like, I just mentioned, we like they knew they were going to have the smart crowd for this show. So yeah. what better match to put on? Like this, this was the touring match at the time. This was a match that happened in ECW. It happened in Japan. It happened, I think, it was uh, War had it. Um, it mm. happened in Mexico countless times. This is the match that like the, the smart fans were talking about at the time. So, I mean, ingenious idea to open the show with this match. Yeah. And oh my god, a hot start! I will say, uh, my excitement was briefly muted by immediately noticing, and I thought it'd be a long time before we said this word, these words on uh, on Days of Thunder. But I immediately saw a pole in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that match later, but I saw it, and I was immediately filled with a dread I hadn't expected yet. <laughs> Mexican wrestlers in a pole. What could you possibly be thinking? Yeah. Ah, oh God. Anyway, Look, that, for that, those of you who don't, that, for those of you who don't know what's coming in uh, in WCW, you're you're in for a treat. But thankfully, this was not that bullshit. No, this um, this was probably one of the best matches we will watch on this show. Like on on yeah. Days of Thunder, like to get a match better than this, like it's going to be something special. Um, I I had initially sent you a message a couple of days ago. When we were mm. we were supposed to record a couple of days ago, but we decided we'd leave it till tonight, whichever night this yep. is. <laughs> um, and I had said, "Oh, Ray Ray Psychosis is like easy four stars." And then yeah. eventually, you watched it and said, "No, I'm going higher." I think you. What did you go with it? Four and three quarters. Yeah. So I said, "Oh, okay." Well, I, I was gonna I had to rewatch the match anyway. I was gonna rewatch the rest of the show. So I said, "Right, I have my notes. I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna watch this match." And I have to say, I'm at four and a half. I thought this was fucking phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I think, like, sh- I, I just stopped short of giving it the full five. I had the five star fear. Uh, I, I, you know. I, I don't think it's perfect. It was, like, so I can understand why you wouldn't go five. Yeah. But, like, but when it's, you, it's when so you take into context, like, the time that this match took place. Like for nineteen ninety six, these guys are just doing mind blowing stuff. Like I, I know Ray spams yeah. the Hurricane Ran a lot. Yeah, but still, like it's just phenomenal. Like but, I, I watch this with Connor. Connor, who's a modern fan, like he's seven. Like so, but he's yeah. seen a lot, and he was sitting watching, going, "Like how do you do that? How do you do that?" Like and it's just when when you have a young fan who's saying that watching a match from nineteen ninety six, you know it's something special. Yeah, absolutely, and. Uh, kind of hitting on what you had just said there earlier on uh, Tanae starts and I think Tanae did an absolutely phenomenal job on commentary during mm-hmm. this match uh, and that's what you bring Mike Tanae in to do drop some science on people he is a professor after all he he talks about how WCW is very lucky to get the feud in and kind of like you were saying he talks about the background of the match and how they've they've had this match all over the place and it goes all the way back to the two of them being in the same school together Um. And all this, uh, you know, weight being put on the match immediately undercut by Bobby Heenan saying he reckons he coasts his hair like Peg Bundy. 
he also says Ray has a haircut like Demi Moore. <laughs> Both very <laughs> mid nineties references. Well, Ted, um, Ted wouldn't he be mid nineties? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, Al, but you're thinking, uh, yeah. <laughs> Ted Bundy's a serial killer. Yeah. We're, we're talking Mario with children here. <laughs> you definitely said Ted Bundy just there, didn't you? No, no, Peg Bundy. Oh, Peg. Oh, Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Whoo! No, yeah, we're staying out of the Ted Bundy territory. Right. <laughs> what, wasn't, uh, um, wasn't Ted Bundy being um, talked up as... What, what, did Netflix do that show about him? There was... And every, uh, everyone was romanticising him for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was, like, two... Oh, just like the a movie. documentary and a movie, the movie as well, yeah. yeah. Zac Efron, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, because yeah, Zac, Zac Efron as Ted is not a bad idea, like, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> they Yeah, moving swiftly on. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, they apparently both wrestled in Mexico last night, as well as Conan, who'd been on the show later. Um, today again comes out with a good explainer kind of to the mid 90s because this is the thing as well like uh, as you were saying with the moves in the match but as well the kind of heritage mm-hmm. of, of Lucha Libre we kind of take that stuff for granted now but in the mid 90s all this is kind of novel to a lot of American fans so today does a good job here explaining the import, the cultural significance of the mask in, in Lucha Libre uh, which I thought was great again from him yeah like, like um, you compared this to 1997 WWF would start uh, I think they'd make an arrangement with AAA and they'd yeah. have like Mexican um, lut- or luchadors on like the Royal Rumble pay-per-view and they'd just throw them out there mm-hmm. yeah. and they had the, mini- the, the minis for a long time and they never explained to the audience so mm-hmm. to have Tanae in here for like one of the first matches of Ray in WCW and Seacosis mm-hmm. I think this is is this Seacosis debut? Uh, I'm not sure Um but like to have today there explain the significance of these two guys and and their past and and the significance of Lucha Libre itself is just I thought mm. it was a nice little touch and a great way to get the fans invested in these two. Yeah, for sure. Uh Sikosis hits a spin kick and Ray rolls out. Uh Sikosis comes after him with a suicide dive. Uh he takes control of the match then, slamming Ray to the ground, uh hits a guillotine leg drop for two. Uh by this stage, this was what less than five minutes into the match, I was already over Dusty Rhodes in commentary. Um and I think I can't remember if it's this match or by the second match for sure, Tony is over it as oh, well. Yeah. Uh you know, we talked about Mr. No Nonsense Shivani last week, but my god, like Obviously, Dusty is trying to crack jokes and, and say things to, to pop the guys. And, like, Tony is absolutely fed up of a, a couple of matches into this show. Um, I, I did enjoy Dusty. He pops for the name Guillotine Leg Drop. Yeah, like, this is the, fu- the funniest thing in the world. Yeah. There's a lot of that where someone says something and he just keeps repeating it over and over again. Like, it's the first time he's heard it. Um, what what did, you think, what, leg- what did you think of uh, Tanae mentions not, not long after this that... Uh, Rey Mysterio's idol growing up in Mexico uh-huh. was one what? Scott Steiner. Yeah. <laughs> now, Dave, I don't pre- know if you've realised this, <laughs> but you, you think of Rey Mysterio. Yeah. And the way he wrestles. Uh-huh. Would your first comparison be one Scott Steiner? It wouldn't be my first, that's for sure. wouldn't be your second uh, either, would it? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming way down that list. I, I uh, lost at that. I thought that was fucking magnificent. I, I love because <laughs> he ends the point as well with, uh, I, I think somebody butts in and tells him, and says, that's why he does the, the Frankensteiner so much. And today is kind of like, yeah, well, it's, it's a Hurricane Rana. 
<laughs> yeah, he do, he doesn't get into explaining Hurricane Ramirez, but you know that's coming yeah. like in Nitro in a couple of nights or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's another leg drop on Ray while he has his throat hung on the bottom rope. Um, there's a lot of kind of great stuff here where like um, there's a lot of holes from Psychosis trying to wear down Ray and and, and take his high flying away from him. But then like every so often Ray fires up and stuff goes crazy again. Uh, and I like that kind of contrast mm-hmm. be- between the two of them that like Psychosis can do all like m- most of this stuff as well and does at points in this match. But uh, you've got to, for that dynamic in the match, for Ray to seem flashier, Sikosis has to tone things down. I think he does great at it here. As the bigger guy, that's always been his role against Ray. He's the one that grounds Ray and he grounds him down slowly and, you know, takes away the flying. But, like, you look at Sikosis, you talk about a fucking, a great luchador. Yeah. Like, like, Sikosis did a lot in his career. But, like, you, you look at him here and you think, man, this guy could have been so much more. Yeah. He he was always seen as uh, as that guy who makes the the other the guys guy look great. Yeah, look, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 to his own detriment. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're out on the apron now, and uh, Ray monkey flips psychosis into the ring post uh, on the outside. Uh, hits a diving hurricane rana onto the floor. Springboard hurricane rana back into the ring uh, for a two count, and Ray goes to work on the leg. And I'm already writing. This is absolutely yeah. great. Uh, Ray hangs uh, Psychosis up on the ropes as if he's almost going for the Shattered Dreams where he has the legs kind of wrapped in the middle rope. Uh, hits a sweet drop kick on him. Uh, Psychosis is using things like head scissors to wear him down. Um, there's a great bit here where Ray takes a run at him as fast as he can and Psychosis just fucking launches him in the oh, air. Oh my god, I, I squealed. <laughs> the first time I watched this, I squealed. And when I watched it, I rewatched it this morning with Connor. And I, like when I was watching the rest of the show, and I was, I knew the move was coming, so I turned and watched him. His reaction, and he yeah. ju- he just like <gasps> like a big gasp, but he's like yeah. And then his instant was, why did Bobby say he threw him to Orlando? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He um, it was like he had shot a ray out of a cannon into the air. He got such air on it, landed gut first on the rope, oh. uh, reverse DDT, and Ray rolls out. Uh, so he goes as follows him out, keeping the pressure up, hanging him on the rail. And in the like, there's a lot of crazy stuff in this match. But in terms of long term impact on health, the craziest <sighs> thing I saw in this match was psychosis hitting a senton to the outside. And I I had sympathy pains in my lower back watching this. Yeah, my kidneys fucking cried watching that. And yeah. you can see he took it out of him because he throws right back into the ring, and then he has to take him in it. He's just like, oh, yeah, fuck, like like, imagine doing that move. God, yeah. I, and I'm I'm still reeling from this when again the seriousness of something is undercut by uh, Dusty Rhodes calling him Ray Mysterious Junior, baby. <laughs> There's a, a a great kind of camel clutch spot from Psychosis where he just starts tearing mm-hmm. at Ray's mouth, which I thought was a great. Like at first, I thought he was going to do the tearing at mask, the mask yeah. bit, but then he full on like fish hooks him and starts tearing at the mouth, um, which just looked brutal. You, you want to talk about long term, like playing into the rest of our careers Ray does a, a springboard assay like tornado type move oh, oh yes and it's gorgeous and it looks great and then his knee comes down on the fucking guardrail uh-huh and I watched that and I just went is it any wonder this guy had fucking eight knee operations yeah any uh, any match I watched out Ray Mysterio if anything happens to his knee I'm like woof. <laughs> 
yeah there's only so many there's only so many that his knee is able to take again like in our current timeline he's only just back from one of his long term knee injuries I I Um, think I said on one of the shows he was more knee braced than man at one stage (laughs) yeah for sure Uh, like after he attempts that uh, he does that uh, twisting acai splash to the outside um, he then attempts a dive to the inside Psychosis is back on the inside he gets caught in a sit out powerbomb lost my mind at that (laughs) Shade, shades um, of Cena Batista yeah uh, Psychosis gets him hung up and then up on the top rope attempts the Splash Mountain Powerbomb and in midair Hurricane Rana reversal for the win fabulous <sighs> fabulous wrestling I loved this match um, and I think that Splash Mountain into a Hurricane Rana is something we've seen I think a fair bit the finish this mm-hmm. match ripped off a good bit over the years but uh, like if only I could go back to never having seen that spot before. Like, I lost my mind watching the finish of that match. I can only imagine my my brain would have melted out my nose watching this if I, if I had seen it in 96. Like, compare this match to the match that's next on the show. Different paces. <laughs> that's one way of saying it. But, Mike, <laughs> Rey Mysterio has to be, like, one of the best opening match acts in the yeah. history of wrestling. Like mm-hmm. you, th- you take this match, one of the biggest shows of all time. Like the court angle, the one I always go for is the court angle match of SummerSlam 2002. Yeah, I think it's probably the best opening match in the pay per view in WWE history. Mm. You'd be hard pushed to find a better one, that's for sure. Um, yeah, Ray is just unbelievable here. Um, I think don't don't, don't again, him and Eddie open WrestleMania 20 as well. No, not 20. Um, 21. Oh, could be, could be. I'm. I think they do. Um. Yeah, because what was the? Uh, they were tag champs, weren't they? And that was the start of their feud. Yeah, because I'm trying to think. What was the? Was it the dark match before the show? Was uh tag, Masters and Carly against Big Show and Kane? Oh, maybe that opened the show. No, I think that might have been the dark match. Because uh, I remember that was the popular board joke at the time was that their tag team name was the Masters of Cool. Um, <laughs> I like that tag team. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, uh, Rey Mysterio defeated Eddie Guerrero. Opener. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. So the the the, the pre show match was actually an interpromotional battle royal. So I don't know. The Masters of Cool might have been the following year, um, where Booker T won. <laughs> I have no memory of ever even reading about that battle royale. Booker, Booker um, on a pre-show. Fuck's sake. Yeah. Uh, anyway, next up we have Mean Gene who's here to uh, ask... Co- Basically, he, he is so breathless from that opening match he has to ask Conan to explain what the finish was. Conan, the great technical luchador that he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, he gives the... He, he explains it to Gene and then moves on to his promo. Even though it seems like he wasn't he didn't expect that he was going to be asked that. Um, it, Conan cuts a promo on Flair then because they're wrestling for the US title tonight. He really stumbles at first. Like, he's, mm. he's definitely not as comfortable as the, the Conan of 98 on the microphone. Um, when he gets to the end, though, it's not that bad by the end. Uh, essentially, he's just going to beat up anybody that stands in his way uh, of bringing the US title home with him tonight. Yeah, he, so. showed, he showed a lot of fire. I thought that, that was the one thing yeah. I came with. He was very impassioned. 
Yeah, nervous, but he brought it around at the end mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, our next match, as Lee alluded to, Big Bubba with Jimmy Hart versus John Tenta in a Carson City Silver Dollar match, hence the poll. So, Dave, um, do you know the backstory to this match? I I picked up from this match that at some point in the build-up to this match, Bu- Big Bubba had shaved off half of John Tenta's hair. What gave that away to you? The fact that half his hair was missing <laughs> and that a scissors played into the finish. And I think Brain said something to the effect of, he's going to finish the job or something like that. <laughs> okay. Uh, those were the big hints for me. <laughs> so you do you remember the Dungeon of Doom? Oh, do I? Okay. So you remember Shark from the Dungeon of Doom? Yes. Now, I will say, again, we were talking about 94 WCW two weeks ago, so it won't shock people to learn, like, the the pre-NWO period of uh, WCW, with the exception of choice matches and shows, uh, is very patchy for me, but mostly through things like OSW, I am aware of the Dungeon of Doom. I, Funnily enough, I haven't gone to look up a lot of Dungeon of Doom classics, considering the amount of people that have told me not to bother. Yeah, so... Shark, who was John Tenta, was kicked out of the Dungeon of Doom, I think, or decided to leave of his own volition. Is it because they found out he was a work shark? So, well, this would play into it. (laughs) (laughs) He would give a promo to uh, me and Gene one day and say, I'm not a shark, I'm a man. (laughs) And those were the, that's a direct quote, by the way. Oh god, it was that he was a work shark. I think I think even at one stage he says, I'm not an avalanche, I'm not an earthquake, I'm not a shark, I'm a man. Yeah, and, then there, he, and there is a line in this match on commentary about how he's not an earthquake. Yeah, and um, he basically says his name is John Tent, and then Bubba decides to jump him and cut his hair. I think it all happens yeah. at once. I guess, I, I, my memory is fuzzy of it, because, you know, how could I ever forget such a memorable angle? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But yeah, that's the backstory to this match. They both used to be in the Dungeon of Doom, now it's just Bubba, and uh, he's a man. Yeah. Uh, and John Tenta, a guy who I, I'm not sure if we're ever going to come across, like, you know, obviously Retro is the best chance to ever come across him again, but I don't know how often we're going to get to talk about it on the show, but a guy who... um. Always had that rep of being like the wrestler's equivalent of having a great touch for a big man in mm-hmm. football. Um, people, <laughs> the, people the who worked him, over wrestling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People, people who worked with him always rated him very highly. Kind of in the same way that like Big Bubba Rogers, it was the same. Mm-hmm. Like people rated him very highly as a big man in the ring. Um, and I, I believe he was a very nice man as well, John Tenta. Uh, if I remember. Yeah, right. I don't think I've ever heard anyone have a bad word about him. Um. Which in in this business is saying something. Um, but yeah, no, like I I'll always remember him because he's like basically the first wrestling angle I ever remember as a kid is Earthquake yeah. killing Hulk Hogan. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean it's a pity um, he didn't finish the job, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> and and Tenta like so he was always a big guy, a heavy set guy. Um, but in this match, so obviously Bubba shaved half his hair off. So between half the hair off, <laughs> he was obviously sucking air a few minutes into this match. Uh, and the gear not being f- very flattering. God, he looked like shit. Yeah, he really looked You awful. know, for a guy who like, if I did not know who John Tendo was, I was like, oh, who the fuck is this? Do you know? Um, I, it just felt bad. Like it wasn't a great showing from here, as we'll talk about in this match. Here's my 
question for you, Lee. How old do you think John Tenta was in this match? Not as old as you would think. He was very young when he was on top in WWF. Mm -hmm. So, I'm going to say 1996. I'm going to say 35. He was 34. Yeah. That like that you want to talk about the road alone you. Like no, if have you ever seen his Japan stuff from when he's just started? No. He always looked like that. Like in his twenties. Yeah, he's one of those guys who's like born forty years old. Like Aaron Anderson was like looking forty when he was ten. John Tender was the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Um early on in this match, Bubba is running scared and he's just catching Tenta with cheap shots when he can. Um the match not great but what i will say about it is like in the story of the match it felt like there was actually a struggle to get a hold of the sock full of coins so, you know what i mean i have a couple of issues with this yeah so it's a carson city silver dollar on a pole match yes yeah. by the way but yeah before you go into this by the way i'm not defending this match in any way oh no <laughs> you have that's it yeah I'm now going to tear it apart. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> so, a couple of issues. They mention a couple of times that it's a sock. Yeah. Like, why, why not just say bag or something? Like, they, they basically just say sock, and it's a sock, and that's what it is, and it looks fucking shy. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing is, Tenta attempts to climb the pole at one stage, and he can't. Yeah. So, then they say, oh, well, his best, his best course of action is to bend the bar. Or pull it down. Yeah. And they, they point out on commentary that there's strapping holding the pole to the ring post. Yeah, it's like it's like ratchet straps, yeah. isn't it? And they just say, oh, well, you should just cut that. And that's what he then does. Yeah. yeah. So, like, why is it on a pole then? Just fucking leave it in the corner. Yeah. So It, like, defeat, it defeats the whole purpose of a pole match. Yeah. So, like, if you're booking this match, it's really stupid that you would do this. Within the internal logic of the match, if you're John Tenda and you realise, I'm John Tenda, I'm not climbing up that pole. What he did then makes sense for him that he went to cut it down. Mm -hmm. But you shouldn't put your wrestlers in a point where it becomes very obvious to the crowd about 40 seconds in is They're like, oh, these guys are too fat to climb yeah. a pole. <laughs> you know, you've made a holy show of your wrestlers. What they did in the match made sense for their characters, but like putting them in that situation, I agree, was was bullshit. Um, even like I, I think even if you half the length of the pole, Lee, and just made it like Stand the, the, the kind of length rope, that like, you stood on yeah. the top rope, you can get it. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it's bullshit. But at least like it felt like the two of them were kind of struggling to get past one another to get to the pole. You know, whereas it's like sometimes you get these these pole matches or these uh, stiff matches where they're just going to have the same match regardless until it's time for the finish. So at least the idea of struggling to get to the sock played into the match. Mm -hmm. um, so there is that. Um, Tenta, as you say, is the first to realize how stupidly high the pole is and tries to loosen it. Uh, Bubba comes behind him and like, I'll tell you what, he wellies him with a belt. <laughs> <laughs> I felt bad for John Tenta because Bubba just fucking he destroys him with the belt a couple of times and then yeah, he, even, even when he's choking him with it he's, he doesn't wait for Tenta to get his fucking hand in the way like yeah he's just doing it uh, he, he he chokes him out with it um, then he uses the athletic tape to try and tie him to the ropes 
uh, has to use the belt to beat him down some more, uh, gets scissors and tries to cut the rest of his hair off, which I think, honestly, if I was John Tent in that situation, I'd be like, yeah, please, <laughs> yeah. I look fucking ridiculous. See, imagine he had to walk around with that haircut for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 right up there with, like, Sandman staying at home for a month pretending he's blind. Well, what, did, um, did you see Kane on um, Broken Skull Sessions? Yeah. And he brings up when Kane unmasked. And he, he yeah. had the like the scalped head with like random bits of hair. Yeah. And he said, Oh, it looked great on the reveal. And then he said, I got backstage and I said to Vince, no, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair play to him. Um so he goes to cut the rest of the hair, Tentalo blows him, takes the scissors and starts trying to free the pole. Um Bubba cuts him off, throws a few punches, drops him with a, a really kind of um I've done a hernia spine buster. Uh <laughs> Bubba then, the smartest man in wrestling, instructs Jimmy Hart to go up the pole. I will say this. Holy hell, Jimmy Hart scaled that pole quickly. Then he went up that pole like he went up the church with the gentries. Yeah, hey. <laughs> but, uh, like, i genuinely impressed with, like, he just fucking rocketed up that pole. Uh, but in the time it took him to get up the pole, get the sock and come back down, John Tenta had taken control and Jimmy didn't realise. Tenta swipes the sock takes Bubba's head clean off with it and uh, wins and then in probably you know the sock was shit the stip was shit but in the one kind of nice touch to go this feud is over he lays a couple of silver dollars on Bubba's eyes mm. uh, kind of I've killed you dead now that's the end of it um, so yeah uh, a terrible match I'm very glad it was over um, I, I, I hate coming to, to Big Bubba or uh, Guardian Angel matches and being like oh, I didn't enjoy this at all because I like him a lot uh, maybe one of these days we'll land on a winner, my friend. I won't. Um, I mean, the Vader match on the last show, I will enjoy it, so. I think I say Big Beefy Da. Well, look, we, we obviously loved Team Big, big uh, Beefy Da, so. Yeah. Um, so, back to the booth, and uh, Tony has uh, one of those kind of floral necklace things on him, like he's at a luau all of a sudden, and it's... Uh, do they ever explain why? No, he, he totally no-sells it. So he again. This plays into your idea that they must have had their beach gear and had to stash it, <laughs> because that's the kind of shit they'd be wearing at Bash at the Beach on other yeah. years. Um. So I I completely buy buy your uh, your narrative there. Uh, Gina's backstage uh, with the good guys who are um, they're they're hyped up, my friend. <laughs> so that's basically the the main thing I came away with. Macho Luger and Sting. Like, it's about, what, an hour and a half before the main event. And these yeah. guys are fucking hyped and ready to go. And I'm even in my notes, I'm just like, this is way too early in the evening. These guys are way too yoked this early. <laughs> yeah, they're ready to run through brick walls to get to the outsiders. Uh, Gina's asking them who the third man is. Savage doesn't care. He's going to hurt them anyway. Uh, because the, the, third, the, the third body has to be somebody. Uh, Lex says they've prepared and they're all ready and they're all proud to represent WCW. Sting's excited and pumped and they want to go now. Uh, that's basically it. Um, next, and this was the point at which I threw my hands up in the air, Lee, and I text you going, why does every match have to be a stip match? And you weren't even um, into the fucking the main stips of the evening. <laughs> no. Uh, a taped fist match that was also a Lord of the Ring match, and this was DDP versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, the most notable thing in this match, I will say, is the crab cam. <laughs> Sorry, the what? Did you not notice that the, the during one of the entrances there was a camera inside a crab? No. And the claws, like it, 
it was the first person view of the crab with his claws in front of the camera scuttling along the sand during an entrance. I cannot believe you missed this. They did it later on in the night again. You need to go back to these entrances. Oh my it God. was fucking amazing. Crab cam. It's, uh, it, it's an innovation that needs to be in professional wrestling uh, once again. I, I'm looking at you, Cody. Bring it back. Crab cam. My God. Oh, so I don't know if they called a crab cam. I've certainly called a crab cam. Incredible. Sounds like something you get at CZW. Oh, so for those of you who don't know what... <laughs> oh, that one nearly, nearly fucking zipped by me there, Malone. You're on one this evening, I'll tell you that. Uh. <laughs> um, in case you didn't know what a Lord of the Ring match is, so this is in reference to the, the ring DDP got for winning the Battle Bowl, and that is up for grabs in this match. The storyline going into it being that at some point in the past month, uh, the hacker himself had taken DDP's ring, stolen he it. He then gave it straight back uh, to him, though. Then gave it straight back to him, because he's a good guy. Um, well, I have to tell you, match, if you weren't aware, obviously it plays into the long-term storytelling of DDP presenting one Maxwell Jacob Friedman with mm-hmm. the uh, AEW... What did they call it? Casino. Was it the Casino Battle Royal? Um, I can't remember. Because I'm so used to saying Battle Bowl. That's, I want to say that. I can't remember what, what they is. called their Battle Royal for the ring. Yeah, but they they have an, they have it. was like a, do- a 15 carat yeah. diamond ring or something, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So it's a taped fist match, which in, it leads you to believe it's going to be some sort of like slugging kind of, Brawl. you know, lot of strikes and stuff like this. Is it fuckly? Is it fuck? No, for for as much as we love DDP in 1998, just yeah. two years earlier, he was not good. No. And he's in here with Hacksaw, who was also never good. Ah, don't say never. I will. I'll say never. Um, I had to see that man's arse last week, so I'm still not over it. Again, um, that's something I'm glad I missed. <laughs> usual Hacksaw bollocks at the start of this match. Shoulder tackle, which, t- which DDP, I will say, generously bumps outside the ring for... Um, Paige ties Hacksaw's feet uses some of the, the tape to tie Hacksaw's feet around the ring post and lays in some stomps uh, and Brain I think you know only took him about 90 seconds into this match to slag off Hacksaw's eyesight um, <laughs> that, that was around the same time that he taped his feet and cut off the tape off his yeah, wrists Yeah, because somehow apparently taking the tape off his fists makes his punches less strong incredible uh, he punches Paige into the ropes and then keeps laying this is this is great like you want to talk about comically overselling on a kind of like Shawn Michaels Hogan sort of thing so he punches Paige Paige leaps back and kind of hangs himself sideways in the ropes and then he keeps punching Paige and Paige is like seesawing back and forth into successive punches it looks mm-hmm. fucking silly um, uh, the hacker whips him uh he whips him into the ring, uh, runs him back into the post. Uh, Dallas gets on top till the hacker crotches him, slams his face into the mat, slams his face into the turnbuckle, clothesline to the outside, which is a staple of the hacksaw matches. He rolls DDP back in, even though he just knocked him out. As he goes to get in, Paige kicks the rope into hackers, hackers, uh, hits the diamond, <laughs> Hacker, hackers, knackers, <laughs> hits the diamond cutter and wins. It wasn't quite the diamond cutter out of nowhere quality we're getting in '98. Uh, but yeah, this was bad. One day we'll get a good hacksaw match on the show. No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> look, look at you being all negative tonight. Look at me being all realistic. Um, 
After the bell, Duggan wraps what can only be described as a preposterous amount of tape around his fist after the bell and lays out Paige as if he had loaded the fist with tape. Um, <laughs> Gene is here backstage with Jimmy Hart, who he immediately calls a little twerp. Also, WCW champion The Giant and Kevin Sullivan. Uh, so, before this interview, would you have known The Giant was WCW champion? No, no. It feels like one of those things where I imagine there will be at least one person listening to this podcast who would be surprised The Giant was ever WCW champion. Um, but yeah, it was surprising, especially like positioning on the card and how... This may have been the only time that anyone referenced the fact that he was WCW champion on the show was when he was just standing there with the fucking belt on. Mm-hmm. Um, Taskmaster, who, in spite of the WCW champion being the giant, Taskmaster was like uh, taking control of proceedings here, uh, saying he was appalled to have been labelled the weak link. Giant put Sullivan over as the backbone of the Dungeon of Doom. And uh, <laughs> to close the segment, Gene asked Jimmy if he would do a favour and brush his teeth. I'd say Gene was great on this night. Gene, uh, Gene was on form tonight. I, I can't wait till we get to the uh, Flair segment. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, which, it actually, funny enough, went around on Twitter recently. Um, it did not, did it? It did, yeah. The, the, the last line of that promo, but we'll talk about it later. Um, Lee Marshall's tan jacket and salmon shirt are here with Aaron and Benoit. <laughs> A master of fashion, and and I like I couldn't tell if it was just the rims of his glasses, but what appeared to be a powerful monobrow. Um, I, I I couldn't quite tell how much of that was glasses and how much of that was Marshall. Listen, you you, you don't take Lee Marshall's eyebrows in vain like that. That you know he's a trendsetter. I, he I, is. I can't attack him. Uh, Aaron backs the good guys to get it done in the main event tonight. He says it's time to get the title back where it belongs to the four horsemen. Uh, he has a great line in here saying, Giant, if we chop you in half, you're only 3 6. <laughs> Which is just. Yeah, that, that made me giggle. That was a good one. Uh, and then Benoit finishes off by cutting a shite promo about how they're going to finish what the, the Dungeon of Doom started. Well, I, I love the start of Benoit's promo where he goes, Silent but violent. And then he cuts a two minute promo. Yeah. Silent but violent. I'm assuming that meant he had he had farted just before this. Like it just made no sense because he just he just says silent but violent, and like he said, then pauses and then proceeds to talk for two minutes. It made absolutely no sense whatsoever. That that be, he tried to make that his thing. Yeah. Did you remember that? No. <laughs> Again, it was in, is, it was in this is before my time. It was in the uh, I think it was the Thunder game where you yeah. used to be able to press on the on the wrestlers and they'd cut a little promo. Yeah, and that's what he would say. And that was the start of his little promo. Silent but violent. Incredible. Um, speaking of a match I wish was silent. Uh, oh, you're so wrong. I, you are so wrong about this. History is on my side on this one. A four-man dog collar match. Public enemy versus the Nasty Boys. I immediately wrote, oh, God. Knobs tied to grunge. Sags tied to Rock O' Rock. And I wrote, nailed on. This will be shite. <laughs> You're so wrong. This I love this match. This match was a load of shite. What the fuck are you talking about? This look, match look, Lee, was Lee, Lee. everything I wanted this to be. I'll entertain continuity Malone all day long. This was a heap. No, of you're wrong. Shit. You are wrong. This was awful. Why are no. you having? No, why are you having a four-man dog collar plunder match with four men incapable of fucking selling? That's Partic- the beauty of it. 
particularly Sags, who I don't know if he has any nerve endings. I don't know if he ever recognized being hit with plunder during this match. That like, is the beauty of this match. No, because they're match. not doing it deliberately. <laughs> they're this just shite. <laughs> as soon as I saw the setup for this match, double dog collar. Public enemy, nasty boys. I knew exactly what this was going to be. Oh, the Erdingers have gone to your head. I loved every every second of this. I was laughing. I loved it. They beat the (laughs) shit out of each other. This it was glorious. This is Days of Thunder has broken you. That's the only thing I get. This was fucking shocking. No, it wasn't. This was not. This this was a great brawl. Look, I will look as some sort of surrealist art piece as like a parody of wrestling I'll give you that there's an entertainment value to how bad this was this is the kind it of wasn't bad. Adventure. it was it was awful like but I cannot earnestly say this was any good at all um, so the fight immediately goes to the outside as Dusty Dusty is just I don't know if he's even facing the match for most of this match he seems to be just entertaining himself at this point already on the programme I will say I, lo- I love Dusty saying when the nasty boys come out these are his boys yeah I- after Fall Brawl 94 yeah where, uh, yeah it was 94 where they were in the war games with him mm-hmm. yeah like, nice bit of continuity as you yeah. say continuity Malone here picking up all this yeah. little stuff uh, Rocco Rock smacks Sags as hard as he can with a trash can lid which Sags just not even no sells. I no sells implies he actively no sold it. I don't think he noticed. Um, yeah. Then the wor- oh Lee right. So uh, <laughs> you know how much I hate crowd brawling, right? At the best of times, I hate crowd brawling. This felt like a circle of hell designed exclusively for me because all of a sudden this graphic comes up and the screen splits in two, and all of a sudden I'm being forced to take notes on two separate crowd brawls on teeny tiny screens (laughs) and I just at one point I just threw my hands up I went fuck off and stopped taking notes on this part Um, oh I just yeah I hate crowd brawling and they're making me watch it on two tiny screens grunge and knobs get up to the beach Uh, knobs starts attacking grunge alright so yeah right he starts Oh, <laughs> I don't understand why you don't like this match. I honestly right. don't. No, look again. I don't want people to think I hate fun because if I was coming to this going right, this is like an all-time terrible. This is like um, God, what the fuck? What what the fuck comparison can I even draw? Like Dale Torborg in a graveyard, like that kind of. I'm like, all right, okay, cool. But like the oh, I feel like I'm got. I'm, I feel like I'm turning to Cornet here. That like. There, Sags and that are just like no selling weapon shots throughout this match and all of a sudden fucking Brian Hobbs is it no sorry Johnny Grunge gets hit with an inflatable shark and sells it like he'd been fucking shot like and, that, and that's the point right like Tony had some line as like he could, was it oh yeah because then Sags gets the, the surfboard and, and Tony has a line of how oh, he could do more with a surfboard than an inflatable shark let me tell you that I was like oh do tell me Tony what the and then <laughs> then Brian and Dusty argue over who gets to say hanging 10 first <laughs> yeah the, be- the best part of the inflatable shark thing is that I, I think the-, the commentary was trying to legitimise this match and trying to put over some stuff and you could tell as soon as the inflatable shark entered proceedings the three of them had no idea what to do <laughs> they just this is gone it's jumped the inflatable shark it, oh 
Like, so you're so wrong. You are so wrong on this. So this like, match I, is brilliant. I love a good inventive use of a stage. Like, there's a moment in this match which I'll give credit to. Like, Rocco hits a dive off the deck chair. Cool. But, like, when you're just slapping inflatable sharks, like, I loved when they used the carriage at Spring Stampede and the hay bales and stuff like that. But this is just, oh, my God. I would have loved a crab cam spot or something like that if you want to go, like, real deep into the comedy. Um, This wasn't so, comedy. Did, did, this was... No, but this is it. Like, oh. <laughs> I... Oh. Look, I'm just going to move on. Because, like, so even the bit where I was like, oh, I'm typing in that I'm giving Rocco credit for, for he, he used the, the big kind of guard's chair to do a dive. Then he immediately tried to do it again and Sags tipped the chair over. Like, good, you fucking idiot. That's what you deserve. <laughs> Stu- stupid baby faces. That's what you want in here. I'd look, hang on, they're both baby faces. <sighs> the two baby face teams that just don't like each other. <sighs> I stopped, and this is where I wrote, I stopped taking notes for a bit here because it was shite. Public Enemy are now bringing a table in. Rocco puts Sags on it. uh, (laughs) Rocco's up on the top rope. Sags drags him off. He does a full front flip bump. Table does not break. Does not splinter. Nothing. Uh, Progress table. Yeah. Sags, uh, Sags puts Rocco on the table and starts wrapping the chain around his arm. Sags drops the forearm from the top and it still won't break. At which point, Brain just goes, that's the toughest table I've ever seen. <laughs> he also recommends that the table be the third man. Yeah. Hi- highlight of the match, that, from Brain. Uh, Sags whips Rocco into the ropes, but he gets tripped up by the chain. Knobs uh, hangs grunge over the ropes, which is a cool visual always. Uh, with the chain uh, and this I will say I liked this finish um, oh so you liked this part of the match the, the, yeah because it ended uh, so Grunge way. Grunge has been hung over the rope so the chain is taut uh, and Sags whips Rocco neck first into the chain so it kind of garrots him and then he picks up his chain drops it on him for the win uh, the brawl continues and in my favour kind of of course that would happen the table breaks yonder in the background <laughs> And the camera completely misses it. And they have to explain to you that a falling Sags had broken it. And they said he'd come off the top rope, but he'd really just kind of fallen off the apron a little bit. Right, I'm going to put this out to anyone that listens to this show. I want you to get in contact with us on Twitter. Don't WCW watch this match. If you, haven't, if you haven't watched this match, don't watch it. I Like, honestly, as much as I, I recommend you- everybody on Earth should watch the opener, stop. Now, I want you to all watch this match and tell tell us who's right. Is it me who thought this was fucking brilliant and a great little brawl and exactly what you would want from Public Enemy versus the Nasty Boys? Yeah. Or is it Mr. No Fun? <laughs> Mr. No who Fun! Is hung, who is hung up on an inflatable shark. <laughs> I know, I, an inflatable shark and also how bad the rest of the match was. You, you just don't get it. Like, that's I fine. just don't get it. You don't get it. Uh, I will I, say I want to know who people who people are supporting in this. Am I right or is Mister Ryan over there right? I will say one David Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter uh, gave the fucking here we go gave this match one and a quarter stars. Can and, I do the Bruce Pritchard thing of saying if it happened in yeah. Tokyo? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't care where that match is happening. David's not giving it five stars, but anyway. <laughs> Um, funnily right, enough, would have gave it seven. Funnily enough, <laughs> it also got the same rating as the Tenta Big Bubble match on a star and a quarter, and it was not rated as the worst match on the show. 
Oh, I can imagine what was the worst on the show. Because it's, it's still to come. Yeah, it is still to come indeed. Oh, I'm sweating now. I'm just... Because <laughs> you're so wrong, that's why. <laughs> yeah, it's all the wrongness, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gene and the cops are backstage to talk to the outsiders. Gene assures everybody that he's going to sue the outsiders if he gets touched. Because <laughs> that's the real thing we're worried about is Gene's safety here. Um, next up, we have Disco versus Dean Malenko for the C- uh, the Cruiserweight title. Uh, so this is this is the match I'm anticipating from hearing from you, Mr. David Ryan. Yeah. About this match. Okay. I like this match. Why did you like this match? Because Dean Malenko just beats the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> like, so right, the match starts off with with Brain comparing Disco to Fred Astaire and Michael Jackson. Uh, Disco cuts a promo calling Dean Mr. Personality. Dean power walks out and goes right on Disco, throwing him out of the ring as hard as he can and just beating on him. Um, and yeah, like this is one of those things where it reminded me, like in a less cartoony way, of do you remember the um, Shawn Michaels Vince McMahon WrestleMania match, where mm-hmm. he beat up Vince for so long that everyone assumed something was gonna happen, you know, where he's just beating him and beating him and beating him, and you're like, right, they've already had Shane out, they've already had the Spirit Squad out. Like, surely something else must happen. Like, he's not just going to keep beating this guy and then win. And that's pretty much, like, what What happened. happened. Yeah, like, he just, like, there's, you know, Disco gets a couple of moments here to shine. But, like, largely, this is just Dimalenko beating the absolute shite. Like, he gives him a hiding in this. I want to say there's about six or seven minutes before Disco even gets an offensive move. Yeah. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Um, but Dean, I, I loved it I loved this match yeah. I thought this was the making of Disco or should have yeah, been yeah I oh, know I really enjoyed this and like this uh, Dean in the middle of the beating here casually pulls out like a forward roll handspring where it's just like you forget that he had a bit of that athleticism in the locker like everyone talks about how he's a great technical wrestler but like man had some agility you know um, I mean if you had added that agility to his uh, James Bond run in 2000 <laughs> Um, he hits I'll tell you what an unbelievable brain buster here early on gorgeous, this isn't it? just like gorgeous but in a very grotesque and sickening way oh yeah in the most absolutely awful way and I'd never want to take it yeah but Jesus looks great <laughs> yeah there's a great um, there's a great story in this match that um, so there's a point at which Disco scores a few elbows and he realises there's an opportunity and like he frantically is trying to put Dean away and there's a little bit of character development in here that he he briefly goes to dance, but realizes like I better not fuck this up. I better take it seriously, and goes to cover him. And that moment where he leaned into the shtick is what really cost him here in the match. Mm-hmm. So like Brain explains that like he realizes he needs to put the disco dancing aside, and he says something about how like uh, again like if this guy quit dancing, he could actually be something, you know. I love, like, there's a couple of points where this guy will get in a couple of near faults. Not even near faults, but he gets a couple of two counts. And he and I was, like, fucking, like, almost cheering him on. Yeah. And he says that a couple of points where like, he's like, oh, he needs a manager. He needs somebody with him. Yeah. And Shivani's just like, you, you can imagine, like, Shivani just turning and side-eyeing him. Because mm-hmm. there's that bit of silence. Yeah. And it's that, they're putting over that, for all his fucking stupidity and the stupid disco dancing. Mm-hmm. That this guy is actually a good wrestler, and he yeah. just needs guidance. Mm-hmm. Needs and to leave that, that disco dancing to the side, like if he really wanted, if he really 
got serious about wrestling that this guy could be could be something yeah and it's not it's something that they never really tapped into enough I think mm. with Disco yeah I think he could have been a much more interesting character if that was his arc um, but unfortunately yeah again even by the time we're watching it it's like back to mostly shtick like I, I think if he had been in say the WWF at this time mm-hmm. I'd say he was brought in as Disco Inferno yeah like can you imagine as like it turned to the Attitude Era he would have got more serious like he could have mm. had that kind of the split personality say of yeah right maybe he left this Inferno behind for a while and became Glenn mm. Gilberti yeah and it would have been a lot more realistic mm. Um, he like we said he, he dances here for a minute and that's enough to kind of give Dean a breather to be able to kick out he eventually reasserts dominance in the match gets his relief in and wins but yeah it's, it's kind of a so close but so far uh, mm. for Disco here uh, next up it's Joe Gomez Liverpool's own versus Mongo <laughs> okay I have to bring that up once again I was watching the show with Connor and it comes up Joe Gomez and Connor just like literally horned to me and goes no that's that's a football player he plays for Liverpool yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like no this is a different Joe Gomez yeah it's Mongo here with Deborah. Uh, against Joe Gomez it's like oh hell um, when Mongo is leading the match you know you're going to be in trouble Lee um, uh, and this whole the structure of the match seems to be trying to show off Mongo's power and toughness because they're they, it's supposed to be like them slugging at each other and Mongo being uh, more dominant and being able to withstand the might of Joe Gomez it's so fucking boring <laughs> Yeah, this match sucks. Like, this is the worst thing on the show. Yeah, it's just one man does some things. Then the other man does some things. Absolutely. Push push each other into the corner relentlessly. Yeah, apart from we want to keep Mongo strong, there appears to be no fucking clue what to do with this match. I should say, they they mentioned at one point that this is only Mongo's third ever match. Yeah, Uh, and it's very clear. Although, to be fair, his trajectory in terms of improvement is not very... Not very grand. No. Um, I tell you what, let, let's just fucking get over this match because Mongo wins with the the tombstone. Yeah, that's it. That's all you need to know. This match was rated minus half a star. That's generous. Yeah, uh, let me just double check that because yeah, that does feel. Yeah, minus half a star. Um. Oh god. Yeah. Very very poor. And now a moment that Lee has wanted to talk about all night. Gene is here with Flair, Liz, and Woman. Tell us about the the greatness of this segment, my friend. Oh, this segment. First of all, Ric Flair surrounded. I say surrounded. Accompanied. Yeah. By two gorgeous women. Yeah. As is his want. It's Ric Flair. I mean, it just works, first of all. Yeah. It's not not quite as ostentatious as that match we were watching for Pick Your Poison, where was it 42 of them? (laughs) Yeah. Like the models. But like, this is... Like, you take two contrasting women, like yeah. Liz mm-hmm. and woman. Yeah. But when they're together with Flair, I think this trio together are just fucking great. Like, yeah. this, that, that's money. And I have to say, like, I had no memory of Gene and woman's <laughs> deal. And what? that's all I can call it, is a deal. Yeah, her consistently <laughs> trying to seduce him. Oh, my God. I was... <laughs> glued to every little thing they them two were doing throughout this segment 
I almost want to go back and watch it right now because yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's stuff I forget, but just the constant little touches and she puts her arm around Jane and he puts her, his arm around her. Uh, oh my God. I lost it with these two. I thought they were fucking amazing. Yeah, it, the, the interplay between them was so good that it kind of like almost overshadowed Ric Flair saying he was going to win the US title tonight and oh, the I, I don't tomorrow. Care. I, cu- I yeah. couldn't give a fuck about Ric Flair. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and just think about what I'm saying there. Yeah. Like, Mean Gene and Woman are the absolute stars of this segment. And uh, speaking of stars of the segment, how does Gene sign off this uh, backstage promo? <laughs> <laughs> so Flair closes his promo by saying that if woman makes one more advance to Gene he'd be coming back to the room with them yeah and then Gene signs <laughs> off deadpan. by saying deadpan oh yeah dead serious that in addition to the wrestling we'll be having a pole vaulting competition here tonight <laughs> and let me tell you <laughs> I doubled over <laughs> And when you have a seven-year-old looking at you, yeah. going, "What's so funny?" Tears rolling down your face. Oh my god! Oh, he was, Dave. I've never enjoyed a backstage <laughs> segment so much of my life. I thought this was one of the best things I've seen in wrestling. So I, I, I want to go watch every '96 Nitro <laughs> up to this point, just to see any segment with those people in it. Yeah. Oh my god, woman and Jane are just. Oh, like I'm talking about like what what did you think about it I, I loved it and I had seen so this is what I was saying earlier on the show somebody recycled that clip on Twitter a couple of weeks ago it was all over my timeline the, the line about the pole vaulting pole vaulting competition I want to I want to say it was Galazzo Dan or someone like that like you know uh, I, I saw it be uh, across the timeline and I was just like I I feel like I heard that line before and I died when I saw it on, on Twitter. Then I watched the show. I had already forgotten the line again and then he said it and I died again. It's just, it was so good. And yeah, I, I would gladly watch any segment with interplay between woman and Jean. It was so good. And she was so fucking good as well. Like obviously his killer line to end the segment. But like she was brilliant at selling this kind of, you know, trying to seduce Jean throughout it. And I don't get the reason why. No, because <laughs> it's the other part. Because it's, it's like so genuine. Yeah, it's Gene. He looks like a peanut. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so genuine that you can't help but be invested in it. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, it's so good. Um, next up we have Conan versus Flair for the U.S. title. I'll tell you what, Conan had a rad as fuck Triple A jacket coming out here. He really did, and even his his uh, ring gear or his um yeah his his singlet has Triple A right across the front. Yeah. Tri- yeah, triple A lettering and and Conan on on, on his um on his ring gear. Uh, so the start the story early on in this match is kind of fl- Flair being surprised by the brash young champion. Conan kind of showing no fear of Ric Flair's kind of stature or his intimidation or his mind games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought like so it's not an all time classic uh, of a match, but I think this is kind of like. Flair does a hell of a job here in terms of making you think that that Conan is like a worthy champion and like somebody who didn't necessarily look 
overly out of his depth here with one of the greatest of all time. Now, I just talking shite or would you agree with that? Oh, no, I know, I totally agree. I think Flair, like, absolutely brings Conan up to his level in this match. Like, you yeah. never feel like... Like, I didn't feel at any point that Conan couldn't win this match. Yeah. Um, Like, Flair brings up Conan and... Like, I know they, they put him over as Mexican heavyweight champion before he mm-hmm. became US champ. And they even mentioned yeah. it on his uh, entrance here. Yeah. And, like, Conan was this, like, really pushed commodity for a long time in 96, yeah. in early 96. Mm-hmm. And, but this match, like, I thought, like, this should have been the making of Conan yeah. as well. Like, I know he joins the NWO down the line or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like... You talk about in-ring, this is probably one of the better matches you'd see from Conan. Yeah, so Conan gets Flair in a lengthy surfboard attempt, and I thought what was really cool about this is when he couldn't get him fully up for the surfboard, mm-hmm. he instead puts a foot in his back to add pressure, which I thought was a cool-looking visual. And I was going to say, like, even just before he puts the foot in his back, Heenan points out, he's like, he hasn't got enough pressure on the back, he's going to get over. Yeah, and immediately, yeah, almost like you could hear him put the mm-hmm. pressure on the back then. Flair absolutely bumping and flying around for Conan, making him look like a killer. And I think what really adds to it as well, and it just goes to show kind of the, the underappreciated art of the valet, is... Are you going to, you going to say woman screaming? Yeah. Liz kind of with her quiet concern mm-hmm. and woman screaming when yeah. Flair was being beaten on. It's a point like, I had as well, yeah. That really, and that goes to show like how, you know, if you watch the, the Dark Side of the Ring documentary on, on Nancy and Chris and they talk about how like her role in wrestling kind of gets erased by how she died. People only ever talk about how she died, but like she, like, you want to talk about somebody who was keyed into the business. You know, we talked about Sherry recently. Mm-hmm. And Woman was another cut from that same cloth. Like, there was something about professional wrestling and the character she played that she just fundamentally, she just got it. And she yeah. knew what her role was and she excelled at it. And Ric Flair, again, like Ric Flair with Sherry, Ric Flair was somebody who didn't need Sherry, didn't need Woman necessarily. He was already fucking Ric Flair. But having woman with him or having sherry with him like we talked about two weeks ago just added a little something and in this case it it added to flair but it also added to conan because you felt that jeopardy that she legitimately thought that rick flair was was hurt and was going to lose here oh yeah like you anytime conan's on top in this match you hear woman like it might be a screech it might be calling rick it might be distracting the ref but like she is constantly in your mind that she is there at ringside yeah and like you 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 basically took the words out of my mouth like the art of the valet has been destroyed in american mm-hmm. wrestling by mm-hmm. wwe yeah like somebody like Zelina vega should be a million times more like sherry and yeah um and woman than she is like mm-hmm. people think like and don't get like don't get me wrong i'm not saying women like women's re- women's wrestling has progressed so much in American yeah. wrestling mm-hmm. in the last ten years, yeah. But that's not to say there shouldn't be valets. Like somebody yeah. like a Rick a Rick Flair should always have had yeah. a female even, valet. Yeah, but like not even just female valets, like valets in general, because mm-hmm. like you know he he's much maligned now and, r- and rightfully so. But like Jim Cornette, do you know? I'll, I'll see. I, I would differentiate between a valet and a manager. Yeah, like, but just that, you're you're correct, but I would say, like, even just that presence, you know, that, that role of somebody mm-hmm. to fill in and beef out a character a bit more or be the person who speaks for a character in the role of a manager or whatever, um, I, I think completely underutilised, yeah, the, both the valet and the manager. Um, but yeah, no, like, I thought, 
again, just in totality, I thought Woman was one of the stars of this show. Yeah. No, and she was. It's like, and I, I haven't watched any Dark Side of the Ring, so I mm. haven't seen the Benoit episode at all. Yeah. And, and you, it, you will, it is you'll be like, very thankful that you watched this match and haven't watched that documentary yet, because, yeah, we'll talk about it in a minute. Because, like, you know, it is so tragic that her whole career has just been kind of pushed to the side and she's just remembered for that awful fucking incident Mm. but like god i wish there was more people like woman yeah in wrestling for sure and especially because again somebody who by all reputation was an absolute sweetheart and everybody loved her Mm -hmm. and she would always have like good advice for people and help people out and i think she she even would i I think in that documentary they were talking about how she'd like help out making costumes and stuff like that um anyway her her run with sandman and ecw yeah absolutely she was a major part of his his Mm -hmm. uh conan back to the match now and conan dives off the apron and knocks liz over too uh she get she gets up again uh woman shakes uh or he gets up on the top rope again woman shakes the the ropes and knocks him down flair then sees blood as he so often does and starts to go to work uh flair distracts the ref in the corner while woman punts conan in the balls <laughs> like i don't proper, think you can do justice to how hard she kicks him she scored a field goal <laughs> like it was oh uh, and as soon as as soon as she does that, Flair absolutely loving it. By the way, uh, Brain conveniently missed that low blow as well. As Dream keeps screaming, she kicked him low, baby. <laughs> and I love I love the continuity of Heenan being so pro Flair. Yeah, and as we'll talk we'll talk about his other his other bit of continuity later on. But there's a man who never abandons his character. No. Um, so now we have the kind of the 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 utilization of both valets at once comes in as Liz starts distracting the ref on one side as woman attacks on the outside. Conan fires back up against Flair with punches in the corner. Flair does the flare flop and his run up or uh, his uh, kind of turnbuckle spot. Uh, what I liked about this was though, like Flair does the turnbuckle spot, lands on the apron, and almost as soon as he lands on the apron, Conan nails him with a drop kick because he knows this is what happens with Flair. Flair is realising a lot of his tricks aren't working and Conan is still dominating the match. So Flair starts begging off. Conan ignores it and goes to work on him. Flair gets a cheap kick and a punch in, but Conan very nearly rolls him up then. And then Conan locks the figure four in. And I'll tell you what, uh, I think we talked about it before, but like Flair, you know, one of the smartest men in the history of the business, sells his own move like oh, yeah. he's dying. Yep. <laughs> that, that is a clever man. Yeah. Like, nobody should be able to sell your move like you can. Yeah. Uh, the the attempt from Conan doesn't succeed. Conan now realises it's his chance and keeps trying to put him away. Uh, he nearly rolls him up again. Liz gets up, starts distracting the ref again. Woman has to shoot out, but it seems like she got up on the apron way too early. Because it's just me, or does it feel like she's waiting there a long time before yeah, Conan I, I comes don't, over? I don't know whether she got up too early or the guys were out of position. Yeah. Because they kind of lock up and then they have to lock up again to kind of get Conan pushed yeah. over to woman. Yeah, or maybe like Liz missed her cue or something. Like somebody missed a cue somewhere and the timing of this was off. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has the she has the heel in her hand for ages. Uh, Conan eventually comes over. She buries the shoe into Conan's head. Flair gets the rope-assisted pin. Not off the bottom rope, not off the middle rope, off the top rope, over the referee. <laughs> and I love uh, that, for that Nick Patrick's positioning was so awful. That yeah. he couldn't see this. Vintage Patrick. 
Um, but again, yeah, not an all-time classic, but I think one of the stronger showings for Conan. Uh, I don't think you're ever going to enjoy a Conan match on this program as much as that. Look, early 98 Conan, I didn't like. Yeah, Wolfpack Conan, I don't mind. Disc era Conan, he's he's fine. Yeah. Uh, Detective Gene is backstage now and says the third man is now I loved this because yeah. this made absolutely no sense to me mm-hmm. <laughs> Detective Gene is backstage he says the third man is currently in with the outsiders now bear in mind that Gene has been standing outside there all night and the third man well, would have had to except for when he was with woman I get uh, yeah you see that's the thing woman may have distracted him I, I hadn't thought of that wrinkle I can imagine she walked out she walked out into the uh, corridor and like beckoned him with her finger <laughs> yeah come hither <laughs> <laughs> and a third man slips slips in behind yeah um, <laughs> we, um he recognizes he goes right so he, he basically says he recognizes the voice but he also doesn't recognize the voice at all and then even though tony has never heard the voice gene goes tony who do you think it is <laughs> And I was like, I don't know. I loved, I loved the, the idle speculation between them. Yeah, it, it's clearly like you know we're all curious. We need to talk about it, but no one knows. He goes. He says it's so muffled he doesn't recognize it, but something is springing in the subconscious. And then brain, so brain then encourages <laughs> encourages Gene to bribe the police officer, and Gene turns around as if he's going to do it. They say, hold on a second. <laughs> Like a Simpsons character. Yeah. And then like as a, as a kind of like almost a dead end of the segment is like, oh yeah, also we've heard nothing about Eric Bischoff who was nearly beaten to death. <laughs> Whatever, that's not important. Another great Gene segment on the show. Yeah, G- uh, Gene again, just brilliant. Gene and Brain have a great night tonight. Uh, next up we have uh, Benoit and Aaron Anderson versus Giant and Sullivan. Uh, the horsemen get jumped on the ramp by the, uh, by uh, Giant and Sullivan. But Mongo comes out from behind and whacks Giant in the head with a briefcase. Uh, two sightings of Mongo on this show. How privileged are we? Uh, Giant gives chase, leaving Taskmaster alone for a little while. Sullivan and Benoit laying into each other. And I, in general, and particularly having watched that documentary recently, I cannot look at Benoit and Sullivan stiffing each other without thinking about the things that were happening in or around this time yeah um, um i i really don't want to spend too much time on this match because of yeah. that um uh-huh. it's just look it was around this time that nancy and chris got together and yeah so uh nancy and uh, kevin sullivan are divorced by the early the following year i think mm-hmm. so obviously this is around the time that you know the um the fights and the abuse uh that was going on between sullivan and nancy was coming to light and kind of um you know they go into it better and more appropriately than we will you know on our silly stupid little show uh, in the in the dark side of the ring documentary mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it's just the undertones of a lot that was happening in this match like you know we talked about in the very first time we covered Benoit that like for the most part like we're not going to bring it up every show what happened no. you know we all know we're just going to try and, and talk about the wrestling but we're not negating anything that happened um, but particularly when these three people being Benoit Kevin Sullivan and later on towards the end of the match woman are involved um 
it's just impossible. It's impossible yeah. to talk about. Um, it, it, you can't ignore it. Yeah, uh, it's 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 literally impossible. Um, but yeah. Um, look, look. I'll say this: Sullivan. The the whole story here is Sullivan gets his ass kicked for a long time. Joint comes in, clears house. Joint yeah. gets the pin on Iron, and Benoit and Sullivan continue to brawl. And that that's. Yeah. I I don't want to belittle the storyline. I know the storyline would basically be the Dungeon of Doom and mm-hmm. the Horsemen eventually getting together to take on the NWO. Yeah. To be honest, it's just it it's just one of them things that I, I really don't want to focus on. Yeah. 100% and Nancy being together in the ring. Yeah, yeah, 100% and the uh, the only other thing I want to add to the match is just that like I, I think this match very much conf- like didn't know what it wanted to do about a face or heel dynamic because I know they're trying to put forward the idea of of Kevin Sullivan as a babyface valiantly fighting on when Giant can't get in when they're cutting off the corners and stuff like this. But also when Sullivan is on offense, he's doing like really cheap heel stuff, like raking eyes and things. So like I, I, I didn't like that. And yeah, apart from that, there's just like a lot of deep discomfort with the things that happen in this match. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you're dead right that we should just kind of park that and move on because I don't think there's any way to dissect it without getting into some like real, real dark stuff. Um, but look, moving on. Uh, and it is the main event up next. And it's the hostile takeover match. And I think Michael Buffer is here. And normally that's cause for eye rolling and, and you know, guffawing. But I think this is Kinda maybe fits, the one. Yeah, it's one of the few times where like, do you know what? This is a Michael Buffer night, do you know? Um, and I, I, I don't think he over it too much on the introductions. I, I think his level of melodrama is perfect. You know, talking about the battling for maybe the existence of WCW itself. I think he does a good job of making that feel serious. Mm-hmm. Um, the outsiders are out first. Obviously, there's only two of them at first. And the one thing I wanted to talk about here is it's kind of a shame that they have music, isn't it? Okay, so I, I, no, see, they had the music from the promo package. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I guess. I I guess they didn't just want them walking out because I'm wondering, did they fear them getting cheered? Maybe, yeah, because like I, to me, like from a purely kind of artistic point of view, I know they're, they're not. Part I like of the WCW. idea. Yeah, so I like the idea of them coming out to silence. They're not part of WCW, but see, and just did, the chorus of booze basically being their theme music. But see, at, but yeah, at Great American Bash, they had to say they weren't part of WWF. Yeah, that was the whole point of the promo with Bischoff, where you got mm. powerbombed. Was you know yeah. they're not part of that company. Mm. But yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I just wonder where they worried about them getting cheered. Yeah, so that they decided to play that. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I love the visual as they're walking out of all the cops flanking mm. the ramp and just staring them down as they do. And I, uh, I love, I love how outraged everyone is that there's only two of them. Yeah, uh, it's like, what are they doing? Like, everybody's concerned that there's going to be like a sneak attack or, you know is there not a third man where they playing us all along or you know have they yet to, I think Brain has the line very early on or maybe Dream about how like they've yet to play their strongest hand because the mm-hmm. third man isn't here I think Brain employs at one stage like it could be Dusty yeah uh, Mean Gene comes out and, and that's funny like considering where you know we started yeah, the program 
and, and Dusty does turn. But uh, Mean Gene confronts Hall and Nash, asking them to present the third man. Uh, they say he's here, he's here, but they can handle it for now. Um, and then the, the faces are out. And what, very what, early what, on... What, the, I was going to say, what did you think of uh, uh, Macho and Luger wearing Sting fa- Sting's face paint? You know, I kind of... You notice it less with Randy, because he's a crazy person anyway. I think it looked very silly on Lex. <laughs> Lex <laughs> like, looked like, like he was for, dressing up as Sting for Halloween. I liked it for the continuity of their United as a team. Yeah. But yeah, but, I, I do agree. It looks egregious on Lex. Whereas Macho, yeah. you can buy, is just a fucking mentaler. And he's like, yeah, yeah, paint my face. And he's always head to toe in colour anyway. So it's like, it's not that, yeah. It's not that weird. The, uh, the, this match, the, I was going to say, the other thing I have a problem with with this match. Mm-hmm. So WCW say they had a, a random lottery to draw their three names yeah. for this match. And they just so happened to draw those three guys. I just think, why not just say, we're putting our three best into the ring. To take on these guys. Yeah. And the one thing I can only think that the reason they did the random lottery is they didn't want Hogan brought up. Oh, yeah. Because if we say we're bringing our three best, then it kind of uh, it, it goes, well, why isn't Hogan one of the mm. three best? Yeah, That's, that's the, that's that's the very, only very, thing yeah. I can think of. And that makes a lot of sense. I get that. Um, so, yeah, very quickly, this match goes to two on two. Uh, because Sting hits a splash on Nash and Nash has kind of um, like a front face lock on Luger a front face lock on Luger over the turnbuckle so he hits the splash and he kind of hits it on both of them and it knocks Lex out and he gets um, he gets stretchered out even though Hall tries to attack him while he's I, on the I stretcher I love that I love that because like yeah. I think it's Tony just screams like oh they're trying to attack him on the stretcher and you just like yeah. they're such bastards that they yeah. do that yeah, and I love them not mentioning them by name until a couple of minutes into this match. So yeah, this is this is the thing. So like the the kind of outsider threat to the point like, as you were kind of alluding to earlier there, Lee, they they <laughs> they overdid what an outsider force these guys were to the point where they had to specify that they're not mm-hmm. with WWF anymore. But um, for people who weren't around in '96. Can you describe to them the kind of vibe of these two guys showing up and like just how absolutely fucking insane it was to see like the man who was last seen on TV as Razor Ramon showing up and then fucking Diesel showing up and these two guys just running roughshod and like going without names and and just this edge that they had. Oh, this was like... Like in a in modern, I was like, it can't be like it can't be, you can't make a comparison between now and then. Like this was Razor Ramon, fresh off WWF TV, off Raw, showing up on Nitro, mm-hmm. and like he had the accent. He may not have had like he had the gold chains, like he had all that stuff. This was Razor Ramon. They never said his name. They just left it to your imagination. You know who he is, and he even says that you yeah. know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Yeah, and like, that's that's the absolutely fame. iconic line. Yeah, it's the like you say, everyone remembers it. And then like the same thing with Nash. Nash shows up like that's Diesel headlines the the WWF pay per view that April. Uh, the the pay per view yeah. after Mania was Sean and Diesel. Mm-hmm. And he's in WCW within a month. 
Yeah. And like now, it it's it's these two guys fresh off WWF pay-per-view and they are in WCW. They don't want to be with WCW. They aren't mm-hmm. there to compete. These guys are here to destroy this company. Yeah. And this was so like nobody could fathom. Like if you weren't reading the internet, like you couldn't like there was no way these guys weren't sent from the WWF. Mm. Like like I said, to the point that on pay-per-view, WCW had to have these guys say, we do not work for WWF. Yeah. They This was the most, like, again, for a while here, this is the most exciting angle in, in, in the US most professional real, wrestling. The most realistic angle. Yeah. Because like this is as well, you're coming off an era of wrestling that was des- that was defined by just cartoon characters. You know the the uh, the Hulkamania era, even in the uh, the New Generation era, and over here in WCW, like, we were just talking about the Dungeon of Doom, like mm-hmm. like the Dungeon of Doom and the Undertaker are headlining pay per views. Yeah, and then you have these two guys showing up in street clothes mm-hmm. and saying, "We're here to fucking take over your company." Yeah. We have somebody with us. You're not going to know who it is. Mm-hmm. But we're here and there's nothing you can do to stop us. Yeah. I just it, like un- unreal stuff. And like, like when, when you consider like headlines in America at the time where it's all about gangs fighting each other. Yeah. Like, like you know, rap music was the big thing in the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. And you had the feuding West Coast, East Coast gangs. Mm-hmm. And like this is all it, like. It's so perfect perfectly timed that you could never redo it yeah and lord knows there have been so many attempts to oh redo yeah it. like any attempt to bring back the nwo after this never ever worked but even in other companies like how many times have wwe run invasion angles like they did mm-hmm. the literal invasion they've done like stuff like the nexus which was hot for three weeks and then they killed it mm-hmm uh, they did, as recently as like they did the um the NXT invasion for Survivor Series, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there last year, um, it's a thing where the invasion angle has really only in the United States worked perfectly once. Yep. And this was it. And you know when you go by the distinct lack of competency this company would go on to show within a couple of years it was very clear it was a lightning in a bottle situation like partly partly great timing partly dumb luck that this hit as mm-hmm. hard as it did and created the single hottest period in the business ever seen so uh, I don't think we have to break down this match like in any great detail. Like it, it ends up no. as two on two. Macho is getting the heat for most of the match, and mm-hmm. eventually he, Sting comes in. Then they get yeah. a hot tag to Macho. I, Macho gets laid out, and that's yeah, when I, I, I want to say there there is a great point when Savage gets the hot tag mm-hmm. where to, Tony delivers a great line saying Randy Savage is in and he's nuts. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's great. Um, but it's like he comes in, he clears house for a minute, and then he gets low blowed, and that's when the whole reset happens. So, I want to point out a couple of things, right? So, yeah. we all, like, the, the the rumors of who it was maybe going to be are well known at this stage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this was, I, I think uh, Dave says in The Observer, he says that they had actually kept a pretty good lid on who it was going to be until, I think, three weeks beforehand. 
Okay, so was it in was it in the Observer that was going to be Hogan? I it must have been like I didn't read back to when he started talking about the the third man, but he says something i'm trying to pull up the issue here while we're talking but he says something in the the opening article where he talks about the the hogan turn he says something to the effect of they had kept a good lid on it mm. until about three weeks ago so it obviously must have gotten out so that that would vibe with bischoff's bischoff's story that up until the last minute say the, the month before mm. that he didn't know yeah so i want to just play off like Right, we all know the, the rumours, so... The, the joke one that everyone brings up is Viscera. Yeah. Or Mabel. Yeah. It was never going to be Mabel. Yeah. The, the two that are mentioned as imminently arriving that Dave says he assumes are going to join the NWO straight away are, after this, are Ted DiBiase and Jeff Jarrett. Okay. So, neither of those guys have the same effect that... Hogan has had no, and it's not not even close. So the one, that, the two that I want to bring up that would have maybe worked in their own way are okay. The first one is Sting. Yeah. So Sting was always the alternate. If you listen to anybody that was around at the time, they always say Sting was the alternate guy that up until the last minute, if Hogan had a back though, mm-hmm. Sting was in the match and they could have switched gears. Yeah. So that's why I love, I love the fact that it's Sting that took out Luger. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it like because that that would then play into there was never. It, it plays very well into letting that be the possibility. Um, and then the fact that Macho is getting beaten up for a good majority of the match. Yeah. It's like do you remember we talked about the Iron thing mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, where they they style the match in such a way that. Aaron never had the chance to interact with the guys he was eventually going to join forces with. Yeah. Uh, or come to the aid of the man he was eventually going to turn on. Uh, just to pull up, I did get this from the Observer here. So Hogan had agreed to do the heel turn about 11 days before the show. Jesus. And it was largely because he had no place left in WCW for him had he not chosen to do so. Hogan's contract with WCW was scheduled to expire after two more pay-per-views, which were Hogwild wow. okay. and Halloween Havoc. Uh, where by virtue of a sponsorship deal with Slim Jims, they had long promised a Hogan versus Randy Savage main event at Halloween Havoc. <clears throat> Since WCW largely focuses its company around Monday night television ratings and pay-per-view buy rates, Hogan's huge contract became expendable to them. Since Hogan doesn't work arena dates, his staying on or going isn't a factor on them. In Hogan's usual great knack of timing, he left WCW to do a movie with Roddy Piper and Gary Busey just before the NBA playoffs changed the Monday Nitro time slot and wreaked havoc on the ratings, which appeared to be a great leverage move. However, in the expansion to two hours, the show's ratings have increased to their consistently highest level to date with Hogan not on any of the shows. This weakened his leverage... Uh, position as compared with Bischoff's in negotiations to stay on his incredible money deal. While Hogan has continued to draw much stronger buy rates than WCW has averaged without him, 
uh, uh, yeah, although the gap between those sets of numbers has declined as time has gone on, the belief is that the new program with Nash and Hall was an, was hot enough and would draw basically as well with or without Hogan. Thus, Hogan's huge cut of pay-per-view revenues would no longer be worth it. But in the end, Hogan proved to be the ultimate fox once again in that this angle on the surface appears to be the hottest angle in the history of WCW and Hogan, who a few weeks ago looked like the real outsider, maneuvered himself back to being the centerpiece. So Dave is very much of the opinion that Hogan threw himself into it. That he was ba- Basically that it was like Hogan didn't want to turn. Then he realised WCW might be thinking about cutting him loose because he was on way too much money and wasn't making a huge Getting, difference. Then they were gone to two hours. So he said yes at the last minute. Um, and basically in one statement managed to refresh his character and make him the centrepiece of the entire company again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know Dave goes on to say about how like a lot of people would argue the Hogan turn was long overdue based on fan reaction to him particularly in the Carolinas um, the kind of uh, however it didn't come without major risk Hogan's name was still a major factor in buy rate so it was like yeah even though crowds in a lot of the hot WCW uh, cities were kind of like not as into him as they were into Flair it was still a big risk to turn the biggest star in the history of the business mm-hmm. at that point on a national level um, turn him heel so yeah that is absolutely true I would say right so so 11 days out Hogan decided to go with it yeah, yeah. although the, sorry I, I, I hate I just keep seeing interesting nuggets here uh, I don't mean to be cutting across you so no, much, yeah, but it's, it's, it says here, WCW had attempted to keep the identity of the third man a secret and largely succeeded to the point where speculation had taken up a life of its own. So this is banging into the, like, the Mabel stuff mm-hmm. you were saying. It, it seemed every WWF wrestler missing a show and his family uh, and his family members, whether under contract or not, becoming fodder for the rumour mill. Within the company, only a few knew it was Hogan, although by the middle of this past week, many who didn't know for sure were strongly expecting Hogan was the one and there were those who did know uh, Hall was telling people that he didn't know until two hours before match time although that's somewhat hard to believe <laughs> <laughs> Hall forever the worker yeah Hall who still thinks uh, what was his take on Montreal oh he's yeah Hall insisted in Dark Side of the Ring that Sean knew nothing <sighs> <laughs> and that they never talked about it okay just just go back to you on Twitter there Scott <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> right, so... Taking all the Hogan stuff aside, if Sting had been the third man, what do you think the ramifications would have been? Would this have remained the hottest the hottest story in wrestling? No. I, I think it would have been really good. You know? Uh, I think certainly with Sting the quality of matches might have been slightly better, you know. Sting's not, uh, you know, an all-time workhorse, but he's certainly, at this in this period of time, a more kind of, um, a better bell-to-bell guy than Hogan. He- uh, I, I don't think there is anybody who could have fit that role that would have been quite... You could have gotten close, but the, the pure shock of, like, this is Hulk Hogan, you know? Just the pure shock of it. And then, like... How do you know? I, I'm I'm loathe to compliment the man because of what a trash man he is, but like just how well he fit into this role for somebody who hadn't been a heel in so long. See, 
I, I think from a, WC, a purely WCW perspective, Sting yeah. would fit because you could play up the whole thing. Oh, when Hogan came in, I was all of a sudden fucking old news and I had to play second yeah. fiddle and I had to wear Hogan's colours and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And from a purely WCW perspective, that's a good story. Yes. So I can understand why Sting was the the backup. The other name, and he's probably a more interesting name, is Bret Hart. Oh, because was this around the time he he re-signed that yes. ridiculous deal? He had gone off to film Lonesome Dove. Yeah. And he was gone for most of the summer. Mm-hmm. And there was always that stuff that he didn't actually have a contract. Yeah. So it was coming up, was it, was it, so was it like... Was it late 96 or early 97 where he signed that, like, was it a 20-year deal or however long it was? It was a preposterous deal. It was late late summer 96, I believe. So Because he came came back at Survivor Series, was his big comeback after WrestleMania. Like, he was gone for six months. Yeah, so, like, if there's people talking about how his contract's nearly up and he's disappeared for most of the summer, you can imagine how that would be the case. Again, I don't think, like, as good as 97 Brett was, like... It's a real sliding doors thing because the version of Brett we got in WCW isn't the version of Brett that we would have seen in WCW had he come in '96. No, you know what I mean. He He's, wouldn't have been he, half as bitter or burnt out on the on the industry. Yeah, I I still don't think like I I I just think I don't think this could you know Sting or Brett could have been an amazingly hot WCW angle. But I don't think you get to that. They're this not, is an era-defining moment that expands the amount of people interested in wrestling sort of angle. To, to put it in the perspective of something we just covered, they're not, they're not getting on Leno. Yeah. yeah. With, with, with Bret Hart. Yeah. I, I, I think, like, they could have all been critical successes of angles, those two guys. But I, I, I don't think anything could have been in the same stratosphere as Hogan doing it. Um, and there's very few times I can think of where something like that, like I, I think of the, there's a massive babyface turning heel moment that bookends the other side of this era, which is Austin turning heel. And it's the mm-hmm. moment at which WWF reaches its apex that it's never returned to since. And it completely, like not completely in one moment, but was the start of the, the business falling apart from its peak. It, it, it's like amazing to me. Like, like I said, that certain show, the leg drop is the moment you can pinpoint where everything changed. Yeah. I will always point to Vince and Austin shaking hands as where it all ended. Yeah. And as much as, again, that's another thing that it was a critical success in some ways because like people like us really enjoyed some of the stuff that mm-hmm. followed. Um, but in terms of like what that did to the the money they were making on merch a bit like you know it just did not work and I, I think there are very few people turning heel in that way that would work but they just lightning in a bottle I said it I'll say it again lightning in a bottle with Hogan it, it was the perfect moment and it was a thing where he's coming out to the ring and brain because he's brain is saying like whose side is he on and the two guys are like oh come on. Okay, th- you know? th- this is that's a thing that people have panned for years. That saying that gave it away. Yeah. I cannot disagree anymore with that statement. 
Yeah. I think it only seems like it gives it away when you know what happened. Yes. Because I in the moment, like, this is Bobby yeah. the Brain Heenan, who has yeah. never liked Hulk yeah. Hogan. Yes. At the height of Hulkamania, this was the guy who was saying, he's not the guy you think he is. He's not the, f- yeah. the pure good guy. He does horrible yeah. things and he's a, a cheater and he's this and he's that. Yeah. And this is Bob, a- Bobby still continuing on that. Yeah, sure. What was it? Two weeks ago, we were saying about how Bobby was talking about how he thought Hulk Hogan should be sweeping up the arena after the show, like yeah. not in the main event. You know, I think it probably would have given it away more if he was celebrating Hogan coming out mm-hmm. in the moment. Like, I think, the, as you say, in the moment in '96, Bobby burying Hogan is even going to get the like. If he hadn't buried Hogan, all the kind of smart fans mm-hmm. per se would have twigged in that moment. So by keeping up the continuity, you're, you're keeping them wondering who it is. Because yeah. to me, like again, like, it's who, Hogan. Who, who could? How could he possibly turn? Yeah, who could have? Who could have possibly considered yeah. that this guy that has fought for you know whatever about you know the pro America stuff, but like this is the guy that has bled for his country yeah. and, and yeah. against the Rockies, and this guy's like yeah. he's had ticker tape parades in, in Disneyland, and yeah. like this is the guy that has had more Make a Wish. He's the franchise. Yeah, like like. This, like this is it's Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Nobody saw it coming, and that's why yeah. it's so fucking genius. Yeah, and it's a thing where like, God, it's just it, it's it's just it's so perfect. It's so. I, I, I like, almost, I almost think that as wrestling fans, we, we forget how monumental this was. Yeah. Because we've seen it so many times, and it, it's like we saw where it went and all this. But if you were to show like a casual fan that's say my age, yeah, and you say you remember Hulk Hogan, oh yeah, mm-hmm. fucking grew up on Hulk Hogan, and God, he was great, and then you say, do you remember when he became a bad guy? Yeah. Like. That's all people remember. And, and like, here's the thing as well, like right up until the leg drop, you didn't know. No, you didn't. And I don't. Because because as well, how many times have we seen Hulk Hogan at the end of a pay-per-view, the baby faces are in trouble yeah. and Hulk Hogan comes out, saves the day and makes it all about himself. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like how many times have we seen it? Look at WrestleMania 9. The, the, the smart fans, you think they didn't think yeah. Hogan's here to, to be the saviour? Yeah. I, I don't care like the outsiders out. I don't care how much people say they knew he was the toured man. Yeah. When Hogan came out on the red and yellow, there was that pit in their mind they said, He's gonna be the guy to destroy this. Yeah. And like the like right up until the moment he drops the leg, the crowd are cheering for him. Yeah. And even when he drops the leg, I think there's a moment of disbelief where people don't know how to react. People don't react for the first leg drop. You look at that crowd. I yeah. I actually spent time looking at the crowd. Yeah. You They're look at the crowd, they don't react. They they don't know how to process it. And it's I think it's the second it's one the and second then it thumbs up to the guys. Yeah. It's the second leg drop and you see people starting to high five. Yeah. And you see people starting to boo. Yeah. It's that mixed reaction, which is like I say, with the music. Yeah. Because this whole thing was so cool, people are delighted like and you ha- you're obviously gonna have smart people in the in the crowd people that yeah. would have read the observer or been online or whatever and people are happy that they can now boo hogan that hogan yeah. has turned heel and you also have the people that are just in utter disbelief yeah and people he's dropping more legs he chucks the ref out of the ring uh tony has a line about how hulk hogan has betrayed wcw he's the third man in this picture um 
I, the, the commentary, I love this. The commentary does such a good job. They are absolutely beside themselves. And Brain has maybe the best line of the whole night. I never thought I'd see people throwing debris at Hulk Hogan. I mean, I knew it should have happened a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love that they lay out for a good, bo- a good bit. Like they, They're not over the top with it. They're selling yeah. the shock of it. Yeah. But in that, they're selling the shock. But also... It's the ultimate payoff. This is the mm-hmm. ultimate vindication for Bobby Heenan. He was right all along yeah. about Hulk Hogan. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. It's like, it's so many stories that have all come together. Yeah. And you almost can't process it all. And that that's the uh. glorious thing of it all. Like, you're, you're seeing people pelting Hulk Hogan with, with drinks and paper and whatever else. Yeah. And, like, even now, you look at that scene. You have Hulk Hogan stood there in his red and yellow trousers, <laughs> surrounded by Kevin Ash and Scott Hall. And it's still, like... Like, I, I talk about that, and, like, you instantly know the picture I'm talking about. You can see yeah. it in your mind's eye. Iconic. And, and it's just... It, that's exactly it. It is that iconic moment. It is, like I said at the start of the show, one of the most important moments in the history of wrestling in North America. Mm-hmm. if not yeah. all of wrestling uh, and then Gene comes out and this is really this reminds me very much of the um, it, it's a more obviously significant version again as we said uh, compared to the moment that Book ends this which is the Austin and JR you know why Stone Cold mm-hmm. you know Gene comes out and he's like I've been up and down I've followed you for so many years um, and he's just trying to make sense of it and Hall is there kind of mockingly doing the Hulk poses Hulk wants the crowd to shut up before the, uh, he says what he's got to say. And Gene says, like, this whole thing is making him sick to his stomach. He uses the phrase, the New World Order of Wrestling. He says he made the organization up north a monster. He made them all rich. And he got too big for them. Billionaire Ted promised him movies, millions of dollars, high caliber matches. But he's bored now. And he wants these guys, the outsiders, as his friends. He said they're going to destroy everything in their path. All this crap in the ring represents these fans. For t- And I love this. He goes, for two years, I held my head high. I did everything for the charities, for the kids. And after the reception he got tonight, the fans can stick it. If it wasn't for him, Bischoff would be selling meat from a truck in Minneapolis. And just, the cr- like, at this point, you can't see the mat anymore. No. It is just covered in garbage anything these people could pick up and fuck towards the ring they have gene is covered in beer <laughs> like it, he it, gets out of the ring he bails it do you know what it is it's that line you fans can stick it yeah it's so good that's the point that just solidifies it where mm-hmm. it's just like this is a different man and the, the pay-per-view uh, gets signed I, off i love with this i to the me, this greatest, is one of the greatest ending lines on the pay-per-view the greatest call of Tony Schiavone's career is Hulk Hogan you can go to hell <laughs> he actually, so, actually before that he says we have seen the end of Hulkamania yeah oh. and then he lets it breathe and he goes Hulk Hogan you can go to hell yeah just pitch perfect again like you said the most one of if not the most significant moment in North American professional wrestling and it just doesn't get old it no. does not get old. It, it's absolutely perfect. And it's one of those moments where, God, you pine for a time where wrestling could make you feel like that. 
yeah, like uh, I don't think there's anything in modern modern WWE could not get me as emotionally invested as yeah. watching the, watching this pay per view. Yeah, twenty what twenty four years later. Yeah, I I think I'm trying to think like the in the last six or seven years the amount of times I've actually had genuine feelings watching WWE matches and both of them involved Daniel Bryan. You know, when you... Uh, yeah, like the rest of my it's not, main event. Yeah, it's not the same, exactly. You know, it's a different kind of feeling. There's the triumph and there's the, you know, you're on a different journey with Brian than you are with Hogan. But him winning at 30 or, you know, the him just putting together this masterpiece of a match with an emotional climax with Kofi winning the title last year as well. Do you know what? I, I can moment. think of three moments off the top of my head. Go for it. In the last, I want to say, 10 years. CM yeah. Punk winning Money in the Bank for the first time. Oh, I, I think yeah. I think that was 20, 2008, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, what? Um, winning it for the first time? Yeah, 2008, because Kennedy won it in 2007. Yeah, so 2008, so there you go, 12 years ago. Punk, Cena. Yeah. At Money in the Bank, obviously. Yeah. And then Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 30. They're the three yeah. moments I can think of off the top of my head that yeah. could compare to this and, and not a single one of them had the follow through that this did no. you know what I mean now obviously it it as we talk about most of the time now on Days of Thunder it overran to the point of fucking parody um, but for a while they managed to sustain this and it was the hottest thing in wrestling right up until the week before we started this show. <laughs> you know, Starcade 97 w- was it. Yeah. Um, like, that was the ultimate payoff. That should have been the ultimate payoff. Yeah, should Yeah, yeah. Don't say it was the ultimate payoff. Should have been the ultimate payoff uh, to that angle. But, like, those other three moments you mentioned, the two I've mentioned, um, the, there was no follow-through. They were individual moments that mm-hmm. had no real legacy to them. Um, and all of them should have. Um, this is, it creates the single hottest period the business has ever seen. It refreshes a character that, by a lot of accounts, for people who were kind of reading the Observer and stuff like that, Hogan was a, a, a spent force for a lot of people. People mm-hmm. were over him. Um, and even the the normal everyday fans, as I was just reading there, particularly in the Carolinas and stuff, were starting to get a bit bored of him. Um, and the business needed something, you know. Um, you talk about like WWF uh, are absolutely in the doldrums in in ninety five, ninety six, and the industry needed something to to kickstart it and create this competition. And holy shit, like it's just it. There, uh, we could be here another hourly. I don't think we'll ever find the words appropriate to talk about how significant yeah, this the, was. The, the significance cannot be described because I think as you perfectly said, there is there's North American wrestling pre the leg drop. Yeah. And there's North American wrestling post the leg drop. And they are yeah. two very, very different things. And I, I think it would be fair to say that without this angle and without this storyline and the ramifications it would have on WCW and WWF and the, the generations that would follow, I if if wrestling stayed the way it was 95, 96 leading up to this, 
I'd be fairly confident in saying myself anyway, and possibly yourself, wouldn't be watching wrestling anymore. It wouldn't have held our interest without it catching fire to this degree and making this kind of tonal change at this time. It would have been something we loved in our younger years, but probably put aside. I'm, I'm, I, it's, it's, I, I'm, it's, it's, I'm trying to think, just on a personal level, I'm trying to think, like, where, yeah. I, where was I in the summer? Like, I was 10, so... Like, summer of 96, obviously, I was preoccupied yeah. with. You're on 96. Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, see, this is like, 96 is the year I start getting into wrestling. And obviously, as I've said before, it, it isn't the year I start watching WCW. But no. obviously, the, the, the shock waves that are going on here are affecting the things in WWF that I would start grabbing hold of and, and enjoying a lot. Um, and I think if, if, WC, if, if wrestling in general had kept that kind of... Uh, cartoony Saturday morning type feel of the Hulkamania or even into the new generation era I, I, I don't think I would have kept with it through my teenage years it, it needed to be that post leg drop type of wrestling yeah. for me oh to... yeah it absolutely had to be that for for basically any, anyone listening to this it had to yeah. be what it became and you can make your arguments about whether it was good or bad for the industry That look that's a whole separate argument yeah which I'm sure over the next God knows how many years of doing this podcast, we will have multiple occasions <laughs> to talk about. But I think it's just like, it's such a sliding doors moment where the whole industry and in a lesser sense, the whole world yeah. changed. And it's yeah. just, like I said, it's that thing that nobody could have comprehended. And that's why it's so special. And I, I honestly believe, as wrestling fans, we almost forget how big of a deal it was. And that, honestly, you asked me at the start of the show why I picked this show. Yeah. It's for that, it's, it's that leg drop. Yeah. And it, do you know what? It kind of, there's an echo there in, in something we talked about in the first match. And you were talking about Mysterio spamming the Hurricane Rana and about how because we see him spamming it and so many people using that as such a standard move now in matches we don't think about how special it was in 96. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of younger people or for even for us who have seen it so many times, maybe there is an, sometimes an inclination to underplay how significant this was because we've seen this kind of turn, them trying to ape this over and over and over again in the 24 years since. People are trying to recapture the magic of this. And because we've seen it done so many times in a lesser way, we don't value it sometimes as much as we should. Mm-hmm. I think that's spot on. Like, I don't think you can get any better description of that because, like, as you were saying, I'm just trying to think of stuff like we would have been present for. And, yeah. like, we we were present for Jordan Devlin and David Starr at the mm-hmm. uh, OTT anniversary show. Yeah. One of the most amazing atmospheres I've experienced for anything never mind wrestling just anything in general yeah and I'm trying to think like I'm trying to think like compared that to what the people in attendance would have been feeling for Hulk Hogan siding yeah. with the bad guys yeah and I don't think I can yeah. I, 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 like honestly no. I, I don't think anything can compare to it like anything no. that I have felt personally at a wrestling show either yeah. watching live or being in attendance yeah. and there's nothing that can compare to it because this was yeah. Hulk Hogan 
the ultimate good guy. Yeah. And that's it. It's like, again, it, it harkens into what I just said there a minute ago, is that it, it because it's so hackneyed now for the beloved baby face to turn at a very dramatic moment. But it wasn't a well-worn trope here. No. You know? It, it, especially to this level. Like you said, the ultimate good like, guy. It wasn't just a good guy. It wasn't just, you know, Sean and the barbershop window. It, it, this was the, the guy, the man who had, like, he was a cultural icon. I, I honestly don't think before Hogan, like, what would the biggest heel turn have been? Andre. Rest of my yeah. yeah. And Andre wasn't Hulk Hogan. Mm hmm. As much as a crossover superstar that Andre was. Andre wasn't Hulk Hogan and I don't think there was anyone like I say pre leg drop that can compare as a heel turn to Hogan and there's nothing post Hogan that can compare as a heel turn to Hogan Mm -hmm. it is the most and I keep coming back that leg drop is probably the most significant moment in North American wrestling history yeah and I mean like, like, like you said we could be here all night saying Coming back to that same point. I think that's the, the yeah. point we'll always come back to. Yeah. And I think maybe that's the point we should leave it on then, you know, because again, like I said, we could be here another hour talking about it and just gushing about it, but it was perfect. And it's something that I think, you know, there's a lot of this in the middle of the show that isn't really worth revisiting. Um, But if you come back and you watch the opener, which uh, the Observer, by the way, describes... Uh, Davis talk about how he, he spoke to somebody who described the, the Ray psychosis match as the first great match of the 21st century in 1996, which I think is a great way of, of mm. putting a, like putting a descriptor on that. I, I tweeted out the link to that match. People should watch it, but also go back and watch this whole main event thing. The match is only like 16 minutes long. Um, and, and but watch I, it for the angle. Like watch it. And just watch the match. Like don't like yeah. I know we're all we're all prone to like fucking about on our phones and whatever else. Yeah. But like just trying to invest yourself into the match. And yeah. just watch watch the crowd, yeah. listen to the commentators and their anxiety over what's gonna happen and the whole thing. It's it's start to finish a perfect segment. And I will say, like like you said, as soon as Hogan comes out, just concentrate on the crowd. If you've seen this like we've all seen this a million times, look at the crowd and that will yeah. tell you how people felt. Mm-hmm. seismic seismic anyway look that's going to do it for another episode of Days of Thunder our second pay-per-view recap of the month uh, I had a blast watching this one um, just getting to revisit a couple of just really significant moments uh, for me uh, an iconic match to open up and an iconic angle to close the show what more can you really ask for Um we're at WCW Thunderpod on Twitter. That's where you can kind of chat with us about the show. We'd really like, even more so, we we always love hearing from the Thunder Buddies. Mm-hmm. But I'd really like to hear uh, from the Thunder Buddies on, you know, when was the first time you saw this match? What did you think of this angle? Do you think it still holds up the way we think it does? Um, what do you think about those ideas that, that Lee was putting forward about, you know, what if it was Brett? What if it was Sting? Um, I particularly love to hear from Thunder Buddies either who are too young to remember this and are only kind of experiencing it in full for the first time now or the Thunder Buddies that are old enough to remember it at the time because again as Lee was saying he was 10 I was 6 I don't really like I had no real knowledge of WCW so I can't tell you how I felt at the time 
Um, so we'd love to hear about that. But as always, we, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And um, yeah, we love hearing back from the Thunder Buddies and seeing you, you talk about the shows online as you're you're enjoying them. So at WCW Thunderpod for that. Uh, WCWThunderpod.wordpress.com is where you can find Beyond the Thunder Road, our blog that will be starting up with its first uh, reviews next week. Uh, as I'm going to start my series re-watching the entirety of Beyond Wrestling's Uncharted Territory. Uh, I have, in a very stressful manner, if people, if people who follow me on Twitter may have seen, I finished my college assignments last week, so now I have the freedom to, to type away to my heart's content. I, I actually will say, I still don't know what I'm going to cover, so I'm open to suggestions from people. Yeah. Um, is there is there any kinds of suggestions, or do you just want people to just throw yeah, just, shit at you? Just and throw see shit at me, and I'll see what grabs me. Yeah, even if you want to like send a match or something to Lee, mm-hmm. even if it's not a particular area, like you know, even yeah, Lee even, fairly... even random matches. Like I've, I've I've a fairly broad like taste range when it comes to wrestling. Yeah, I I think to be fair, the two of us are are fairly eclectic. There's nothing we won't at least have a go watching. Mm-hmm. You know, there's different things we favor over uh, others, but like I don't think there is a single type of match or a single kind of. Um, genre of wrestling we, we wouldn't have a go with yeah so like my first posts are hopefully going to start next week but you'll see on twitter and if you go to beyond the thunder road our blog scroll down to the bottom you can put in your email address and you will be notified whenever we do post there uh, so be the first in the know and hopefully you start enjoying the stuff when we cranking it out over on the blog uh it also we've got instagram uh, WCW Thunderpot on there which as I said at the top of the program that's where we're putting our Beers of Thunder reviews uh, we put up some cool photos we find about the shows and sometimes there'll be behind the scenes stuff when I'm in the edit bay here in my office trying to sort the show out the kind of stuff that I put on there um, individually I'm at the day to Dave and Lee is at Malone underscore 713 we're going to be back in our 1998 timeline next week back to normal talking about Road Wild 98 from Sturgis so get ready get the get the motorcycles out we're good to go we're going to be watching a Jay Leno match oh boy <laughs> uh, we'll see you in another week for uh, a fresh brand new episode of Days of Thunder we'll see you then bye bye